Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 288 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by one of my bestest friends in this entire world. It is, of course, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, welcome back on the show, my friend. How are you? I'm good, my man. How are you feeling? Always good when speaking with you, my friend. Always Good when speaking with you. So, like I said, this week, we're going to start with the review part. Then we're going to do the... Uh, you know, the news, then the preview part, and we're only going to have one guest, but it's going to be right at the very end of the show, it's going to be with the former two-time heavyweight world champion, Mr. Tim Witherspoon, um, a guy who did many, many rounds sparring with Eddie, actually, once upon a time, but that Mm -hmm. will be... That will be good. That's going to be at the very end. And believe me, he has some uh, some great memories that we're going to discuss. So uh, really looking forward to that. But let's dive straight into the review part of the show. Um, again, we're going to try to whiz through this as quick as possible. Uh, we're going to start here. Uh, a card that took place last week at the Fiesta Casino in San Jose, Costa Rica. Hannah Gabriels, um, she's now 21-2 and two with a draw. Um, we, we mocked it, really, on last week's show, and I'm still not best pleased with this because she was able to knock out in two rounds Martha Gaetan, who's now 11-10. and 10. So Hannah Gabriels is now the new WBC heavyweight world champion and the new WBA world female light heavyweight champion. Um... I think she weighed in at about 168 pounds. And another really messed up thing is that Martha Gaitan, um, I actually overlooked the fact that in her very last fight, she actually got stopped in one round. So, you know, <laughs> it is bad for her to have been stopped in a round. Then in her very next fight, she's boxing for two weight class world titles. It, it, it doesn't look good. It says a lot about the sport of boxing um coming off a first round knockout and your very next fight oh it's bizarre but anyway that was it for costa rica i believe dennis duglin the mama's boy was supposed to be on the undercard for whatever reason his fight didn't end up happening moving out now to the bolton whites hotel in lancashire united kingdom over here a good card put on by mtk um on the undercard let's start with a good win for lewis edmondson he was able to make his opponent luke blackledge retire on his store after three rounds edmondson now five and oh uh, it's a good name i suppose for his for his record early on there joe ham um he lost on points over eight rounds to jack Bates. 
Beatson, who's now 13-0. and 0. Uh, Again, that one was over eight rounds. Joe Ham now 16-3. and 3. Jack Bateson, 13-0. And, and moving up the card once again, a good win for Dan Aziz, but it was a close fight. He is now 13-0. and 0. Um, A split decision over 10 rounds against Ricky Summers, who's now 17-3 and 3 with a draw. It was for the English light heavyweight title. And I personally think there are so many fun fights that can be made at 175 here in the UK with a lot of guys that are just below um, this is going to sound a bit disrespectful but I guess just below British level they haven't yet proven that they're good enough to be uh, at that you know, at that British level just yet. Dan Aziz is one of those guys, um, you know, you can throw him in the mix with someone like a Hosea Burton, uh, with, with with a Shakam Pitters. Obviously, these are former British champions, but still, there's many good fights there. Hosea Burton, Shakam Pitters, Dan Aziz, Cody Davies, Liam Conroy, Bob Adjasaf, Dex Spellman, Chad Sugden, uh, Ricky Summers, like we say, Lawrence Usiki, or Usueki, I think his name is. Um, You've got um, Andre Sterling, if I didn't already say him. Um, there's so many good fighters there, and all these fights can be made. You've got the likes of Ryan Hatton coming through as well. Uh, Joe Fournier, I don't think we're going to see him. Uh, Tommy Fury, of course, at that weight as well. There are so many big fights that can be made with these guys. Um, and just above those guys, you've obviously got the likes of, you know, your, uh, your your Craig Richards, your your Anthony Yards, your Lyndon Arthurs, your Josh Buatzis, those types of guys. There's so many great fights that can be made at 175, but good win for Dan Aziz. I think it was um, a good learning fight for him. I think it was the perfect kind of kind of name he needed, um, a win against Ricky Summers, and it's, it's a good domestic name. So I, I wish him all the best, good win, and I would like to see him fight one or one or two of those guys that I just mentioned there, and the main event, Danny Dignam um, against Andre Sorokin. It was a bit of a weird one. It was for the WBO European middleweight title. Danny Dignam, um, I expected to probably come up short if I'm being honest against Sorokin, who I rate very highly. Sorokin being a very tough southpaw, um, you know, been in there with John Ryder, and that was his, his his only loss, and he was a real puzzle for John Ryder as well. He he soaked up a lot of big shots as well, and I thought Danny Dignam would do really well to beat this guy, and he didn't beat him. It ended in a split draw over 10 rounds. Um, so yeah, Dignam was cut as well, I think in the 8th round and the 10th round, two different cuts, so yeah, very tough Sorokin, uh, both guys were southpaw, it was, you know, it made for a good fight actually, but yeah, Danny Dignam, I'd like to see the rematch for him to be honest with you, um, yeah, but it's a fight that never made much sense, but, you know, credit to him for taking the fight, he didn't take a loss, perhaps we can see the rematch, perhaps we can see something different for him, but he is proving that he is ready to take big step ups, and he's still kind of early on in his in his career really, you know, he's, he's 13 or 14 now fights in, but it was a big risk, and um, that's, that's possibly a sign of more risks to come, which we like to see. Moving out now to the Shrine Exposition Center in Los Angeles, California. Over here, one fight to mention. Friend of the show, Tony Harrison, now 28-3 and three with a draw. He drew, um, it was a split draw over 12 rounds against Bryant Perella, who's now 17-3 and three with a draw. Um... 
I didn't watch the fight, but from what I've seen, a lot of people are saying that Tony Harrison got beaten up pretty bad in this fight and was really lucky to escape with a draw. Um, you've unmuted, Eddie. So did you have something to say on that one? Yeah, I mean, I watched it. I actually oh, watched it. Oh, okay. It. You know more than me. T take it away, man. Well, honestly, um, it did look as if Tony was having trouble with this guy. Not a... The punch, uh, the punch stats were real close. Tony was obviously a little bit, he was obviously more accurate, but threw less, less punches. Um, but I'll say at, at times, it, man, each round is hard to, it was hard to score. I ain't gonna lie, sometimes it was hard to score. You know, there were rounds with Tony were was uh, landing the better shots, he was landing multiple jabs at times, and that's the thing, like his jabs were really good. You know, he would follow up sometimes with three jabs, maybe land all three. But the, the other kid was was not letting that go. He would come back and throw a couple shots. So they were matching shots. Sometimes I think the kid outlanded him by a few, but he threw a lot more. So Tony was a little bit, he was obviously more accurate. And to be honest with you, I, it, the fight was close. It could have been that. But I could see how a lot of people would say the other kid got the fight because it was close. And the other kid's power punches were, you know, obviously more so than Tony's. Tony landed a lot of good jabs. So... The fight was interesting, you know what I mean? It, it was not a gimme at all for either one, but this kid actually showed out pretty pretty well. He did a good job. He 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 did what he could to make the fight, you know, I don't want to say ugly. Like it, it wasn't that he had a ugly style necessarily because he was landing landing some clean shots on Tony. Had his head going back. Actually, like he buzzed him a couple like once or twice. So um, it was a good fight, but I can see how people could say that. I can see a lot of people thinking that because Tony Harrison's more of a high-profile fighter than this guy. You know what I'm saying? So they're expecting Tony Harrison to pull, you know, go in there and take take over, and it just wasn't like that. This kid was actually a pretty good fighter. You know what I mean? He, and he was tough and and determined too. So, uh, but interesting fight. I'm not I'm not mad at a draw. If you're gonna pick a winner, try to if you're gonna you know you don't want to rob anybody. So I'm not mad at a draw. Yeah, a lot of people now wanting Tony Harrison to move up in weight. Um, like I say, I didn't see it. I appreciate you um, filling in for me there, Eddie. But um, yeah, he's a friend of the show. He's a former world champion. I think a lot of people, like you say, probably expected more from him. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's in a bit of a sticky patch, I guess, at the minute. Obviously losing his world title. And, um, yeah, it hasn't been a smooth comeback quite clearly there. Moving out now, though, to the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida, USA. This one was on the zone. I'm, of course, going to start with the undercard. A few losses, actually, for for undefeated the zone slash Matram Eddie Hearn prospects. I'm going to start here with Ofer Jones III. Um, really good amateur, but he lost here. Um, he's now 5-1 and one with a draw. He took on Jorge Castaneda, who's now 14-1. and one. It was a majority uh, decision for Castaneda over eight rounds there. Uh, also on the card, uh, Muhammad Rasul Majidov, now three and one. He was knocked out in the first round against Andrei Fedosov, who, of course, I think was coming off... Um, quite a layoff I think it was like since 2019 since he last boxed and he last lost the fight I think it was in 2013 to Bryant Jennings I think he got stopped but anyway he was in there against Majidov a really good um, amateur Majidov was down twice uh, in that first round and he was unable to continue due to an ankle injury it was freakish um, I think that um, that uh, Feder 
Fedosov, I believe, was a 10 to 1 underdog, but if you was to have bet on the first round knockout, I mean, that was like a 100 to 1 or something. So, uh, huge upset. It just goes to show that anything can happen. Uh, in boxing, especially heavyweight boxing. Um, moving up the card once again, I'm going to now discuss Carlos Gongora getting a, a knockout in the eighth round against Christopher Pearson. Um, Gongora now 20-0. and It was for the IBO World Super Middleweight title. Christopher Pearson now 17-3. and um, I think that one was from um, like a cut, I believe. I think Pearson had a cut. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the open and shut of that one. But the main event, that's what we're here for. Demetrius Andrade, now 30-0. and 0, The perfect resume, uh, the perfect record, I should say. A defense there, there of his WBO world middleweight title. Liam Williams in the other corner. Very game, very gutsy. He was down in the second round. Uh, Liam Williams now 23-3 and three with a draw. Is he going to be a nearly man or is he going to actually win a world title at some point? Um... I'm going to fly through these rounds before I come to Eddie, of course. Uh, first round I gave to Andrade. I couldn't believe how aggressive he was straight away, winding up with big uppercuts. Um, not really the typical start that we're expecting to see from Andrade, who for me is a bit of a slow starter usually. He came out with the uh, the cap that read war. So it was like, uh, you know, some kind of tribute to Marvin Hagler, the, the fast start here. Uh, I don't think Williams was really hurt much at any point in that first round, but Andre was able to land the backhand pretty much at will. He looked so fast as well. It was a big round for Andre. Round two, like I say, down went Williams. The gap in class was incredible to see just unfolding in front of your eyes. I know how good Andre is. I picked him to win the fight, but I was I was stunned at the difference in ring IQ. Um, you know, Williams was just marching forward, walking into shots. It was a straight left, uh, straight left right. Uh, so like a one-two that that put Williams down uh, from that southpaw stance. He, he was in a world of trouble as well, Liam Williams. He was getting completely outclassed and out-hustled. Round three, a much better round for Williams. Uh, close round, I'd, I'd, I'd say. Maybe even a Williams round. Andre didn't look as comfortable. Uh, round four, a definite Williams round for me. He landed a number of big-looking shots that Andre was trying his best to block, but Andre was looking a little bit unsteady on his feet, I felt. Round five, a really interesting round, but a round four, Andre, in my opinion. Round six and seven, I I uh, gave to Andre, especially round six. He was really switched on, Andre. Round eight, Andre was starting to get into a bit of a rhythm. He was looking comfortable again. Williams was trying... Uh, to, to goad Andrade with, with words in the ring. Andrade was still in full control, though. Round nine, for me, a round for Williams. He hurt Andrade, it looked like, with a with um, big straight right hand. It put Andrade back onto the ropes, and he was on unsteady legs. It was definitely encouraging signs late on for Williams. Round ten, for me, another round for Williams. Andrade was starting to to hold as much as he could. Uh, Williams looked the much fresher of the two at that point. On my card, Williams needed the knockout, though. Um, I, I, of course, didn't know how the judges had it, which was what really mattered. But it was, you know, it was getting to be a really interesting end to the fight because you didn't really know what was going to happen, even in, in the 10th round. Round 11, a closer round, but I still edged it to Williams. And round 12, um, I gave it to Andrade. I think he closed the show nicely in, in, in the 12th. He didn't leave anything 
uh, you know, in the ring. And I looked at the in-play betting in round 12. I saw it was 66-1 to 1 for Williams to win the fight by any method. So basically, I was thinking, wow, these scorecards are um, going to be very wide, I guess. Or maybe I'm seeing it too lenient towards... Uh, towards Williams, despite having a bet on, by the way, for Android to win on points, I thought that was a very safe bet, which it turned out to be, but credit to to, to, to Liam Williams, you know, he's really, really such an improved fighter, um, I don't think Android's style was any good for him, I still think Williams can win a world title, but obviously not against... Um, against someone like Andrade, I'd like to see him in there with maybe some of the other champions. Remember, this guy probably can still make 154. He's not he's not big for 160. He, he moved up there. I think he could probably still make 154. Um, but you know, definitely he he has a chance against some of the other guys. I'd like to see him in there with someone like, dare I say. You know, a Golovkin or like a Maratta. I think he could probably beat Maratta. Uh, there's there's some serious guys he can beat out there. But Andre just showed his class, man. And he doesn't always get to show us his class every time. But this style played into his hands, I think. It was a little bit ball and matador type stuff. And once again... Um, you know, it was nice to see Andre do his stuff. Because Andre is a guy that gets a lot of... Um, I think not hate necessarily, but he gets a lot of, he doesn't really get the accolades he deserves, he doesn't really get the plaudits, um, he doesn't always have the most fan-friendly style, but for me, he, when he was switched on during the fight, he was on another planet, and we don't always see him, you know, that that riled up, that that interested, I feel, is, is, is a fair thing to say, so yeah, I want to see Liam Williams come again, credit to him, friend of the show, and Andrade, I mean, he, he can show that when he when he's focused, he can really pull away, and I'd love to see him in a huge fight, I'd love to see him in with a Billy Joe Saunders still, but obviously that's not going to happen, um, I'd like to see him in with a Golovkin, a Charlo, and uh, maybe the winner of, of Billy Joe and Canelo, you know, any of those guys I'd love to see him in with, but anyway, that's enough from me, Eddie, what did you make of it, my friend? Oh man, it was, uh, turned out to be an interesting fight early on, it looked like he was going to get him out of there pretty early, and uh, was, I don't want to say I was surprised, because I mean, I really didn't know a lot about Liam Williams um, before the fight, but he, when I, when I looked at him, and I know fighters like him, like I've seen fighters like that in front of me as an amateur, and even early on as a pro, like, when I say early on, I'm not saying that, you know, he's not technically good, but I'm just saying, he's a tough guy, he's gonna try to be there all night, even if he's hurt, he's gonna still be switched on, he's still gonna be, he's still gonna be coming forward, he's still gonna make it a tough go of it, he does have a, you know, when you think of guys who fight like him, and, oh, because he's coming forward, it seems like he's walking on the shots and all that stuff, and yes, to a degree, it is true, but he had no other opportunity, he's not gonna be able to fight with uh, Demetrius Andre at range at any point, even if he's a crazy hard puncher, he has he doesn't have a chance in, in in hell in a fight like that. So the way he was fighting, though he took a lot of punishment, he got hurt a lot of times. He put himself in in, in position to be knocked out a, a bunch of times. Credit to him because he's so tough and able to deal with it. But that was his only opportunity to even have a fight, have an opportunity, have a chance down the stretch to win. It was funny. I was listening to uh, uh, I was a Joe Engel, right? His his trainer in the corner, 
And he was saying like eight, nine, ten. He was expecting at that point for Andre to get a little tired and to be worn down from all of the roughhouse tactics, which I think was extremely smart. Showed a great IQ for not only Liam Williams, but for his corner to really have a plan like that. You know, you're not going to be able to box with Demetrius Andre. It's not going to happen. But obviously the star of the night was, was, was Andre and for him to be able to continue to keep his composure in the face of all of that, you know, that, that adversity, because he brought adversity. This guy was coming to win for sure. And he was not, he was not backing off. He wasn't sitting on the back foot waiting or just taking shots. He was trying to make every moment in the fight count. And that right there showed the class that Demetrius Andre had. Those fights aren't easy. Those fights are absolutely not easy. Fighting guys that you are supposed to be worlds better than is not necessarily easy because sometimes guys will just literally skate through and just be all defensive and not let you look good and, and make the fight ugly. Or you'll have a situation where this guy's coming to win and he's going to make the fight ugly. He's going to hit you on the arms, hit you on the back of the head, pull you down, knock you down, grab you, slam you, all those types of things. And you have to have not only the conditioning, but you also got to have the the, 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 the mindset and, the and, the, and enough toughness to not only be willing to stand there at times, but to deal with what he's bringing in his onslaught. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see uh, a kid like this. I remember I met him when he was, before he had his first professional fight and, you know, real young, real bright eyed kid, real cool, you know, real nice. But I could see it, though. You could kind of see it. He got a, he got a little fire in him. And now uh, seeing him, you know, as a champion and fighting, you know, at this level and, and being as, as dominant as he can be is is a refreshing thing. And I'm just hoping that this is only the beginning. Well, I don't say the beginning for him, but this is uh, where he starts to hit his peak and he starts to fight. I really agree with you, Joe. I really want to see him get some of these big fights. And I feel like he can win them. I really feel like he's on on the level of the, the you know these top guys, and he he just needs to get his you know get get his opportunity, and and I think it'll be a you know it'll be a good a good thing to see. No, well said, Eddie. Well said. Uh, moving out now, though, to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. This one, of course, was the Triller card, the Circus card. Um, I'm gonna start with the undercard now. I did you see any of this at all, Eddie? By the way, because this is this just uh, crazy. I, I did not. I did not. Okay. I just, I, you know, one of my fighters, uh, Kurt, he, he told me how bad it was. <laughs> yeah. So we had really, really bad comedy sketches. We had Ric Flair hosting a slapping match between two big fat guys. We had live music from Doja Cat, uh, Sweetie, uh, Justin Bieber, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, uh, the camera. Um, you know, kept going over to the commentators and random people during the actual fight. Like it would pan away from the damn fight. You can hear punches being landed in the background, but they're they're like filming the guys in the uh, the commentary box. Um, Steve Cunningham. I'm going to get to that in a minute. He was dreadful. I hate to say it. Um, Joe Fournier's opponent literally couldn't even throw a straight right hand or a jab. Um, Snoop Dogg, you know, he kept doing these weird comedy spoof things and smoking weed and drinking alcohol um, with Al Bernstein. <laughs> uh, Oscar De La Hoya turned up drunk as hell. You had Tiafimo Lopez in the crowd with, with George Cambosos. They're fighting each other. They got them up there to talk some trash. You had Chuck Liddell in the, in the crowd. You had Ivan Redcatch 
milking that that punch, saying it was low. He was rolling around on the floor, even though he got hit in the, uh, you know, like in in his side, kind of like um, it was a body shot. It was a legal body shot that Regis Progre landed. Red Catch was rolling around the floor. His girlfriend actually got in the ring in, you know, in the middle of the fight. I've never seen that before. Um, he ended up getting pulled out on a stretcher. There was one point where she was fiddling around with his shorts, and one of the commentators made a joke that perhaps he's going to get a boner. Uh, Michael Buffer turned up quite late. There was a 12-foot-tall robot that was dancing behind Jake Paul when he was walking to the ring. Uh, Jake Paul got out the ring after he won his fight. He jumped over the announcement table and took a drink from uh, from Snoop Dogg. He had like a bottle of his own alcohol and started downing it. It was just absolutely mental. <laughs> um, <laughs> gonna... This is where boxing is... Yo, this boxing should not have had anything to do with this. Seriously. Yeah. I, yeah, I, this it is was crazy. look. Boxing got enough problems, yo. Enough problems. There's bad decisions here. There's this and that. There's all these, you know, the the money issues. There's just so many things going on. Boxing didn't need this to be like that. Come on, man. It's just it's it's a shame. It really is. Yeah. I, I, I mean, hate to hear it. Yeah. I mean, even Oscar De La Hoya talking about his comeback at age 56 or 58, whatever he, whatever he is, he's, he's been out of the ring 14 years. He was talking about, um, you know, his reasons to come back. He's going to fight the best fighters. Apparently it was, he was drunk as hell. He was shouting saying that Steve Cunningham doesn't have a chin cause he's got nine losses, even though Steve Cunningham's got a brilliant chin. He, he it was just absolutely crazy. Um, going through the fights though, Joe Fournier, friend of the show was on a couple of weeks ago. He Box this guy Raycon, who is this reggaeton singer. He was absolutely awful. Raycon. He got dropped, I think, twice in the fight. Then he retired on his store at the at the uh, the end of round two. Joe Fournier now nine and zero. Uh, really, he's ten and zero, but nine nine and zero officially, or whatever you want to call it, with with nine KOs. Steve Cunningham. I cannot believe he went the distance with Frank Mir. Um, he was giving away seventy pounds, by the way. But Frank Mir, making his boxing debut, went the distance with you know a former world elite fighter in Steve Cunningham. Um, so yeah, that that didn't look too good for boxing. Cunningham now thirty and nine with a draw. Jake Paul, obviously, you know he he knocked out Ben Askren in in like I don't know a minute and a half. That was quite. Um, you know, I'm not believing in that hype, but that was that that really was quite embarrassing for for UFC guys. I think to to you know Ben Askren, I think talked about never being like rocked or hurt in his life apart from one time when he when he fought this guy or whatever some other guy, and he gets done in like a half a half a round by a YouTuber. That was quite embarrassing. Um, Regis Progre, you know, friend of the show, he was like you know, probably involved in the one real fight on the card. He moved to 26 and one. It was a TKO in round six. Um, in the end, because, because like I say, red catch went down. The referee called it a low blow, which was weird because they showed the replay. It was nowhere near, um, you know, nowhere near low. It was perfectly legal. He laid on the floor. He he was rolling around. It looked like he was in excruciating pain. He went to get back up. Then he collapsed back down. He really made a meal out of it. Honestly, they should have gave him uh, like an Oscar right there. Um, but yeah, he he was he he was awful. And even though the referee called it low, the referee gave him five minutes. He he didn't get up. Um, 
and then he was stretched out the ring. All the fighters and stuff on Twitter were saying like, we're, we're going crazy uh, at Red Catch, you know, like we saw what happened. Don't do that stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, yeah, it, it actually went down on the night as a technical decision win for Regis Progre, but then they overturned it to a TKO win um, after that, I think the following day. So that is that one. Uh, but anyway, the less said, the better on that crazy night there. Um, there is two more cards to mention. There was a fight that took place on uh, on on Tuesday of this week, so two days ago. There's two more fight cards to mention, both uh, you know, involving guys with the same surname. So I'm going to start here on the Tuesday. This one took place at the Shrine Exposition Center in Los Angeles, California. Former world champion, um, former world champion Marcus Brown returned to the ring. He's now 24 and one. It's his first time fighting since his loss to Jean Pascal back in August 2019. He stepped in and went 10 rounds against Denis Grachev, who's now 20 and 13 with a draw. Um, Grachev, quite a tough guy, doesn't really get stopped often, even though he was coming off two losses back-to-back himself. He's been in the ring um, probably three or four times since Marcus Brown last box. Actually, he's been in the ring, I think, five or six times since he last boxed. But, yeah, he doesn't get stopped often. And, you know, Marcus Brown didn't get him out of there, which, you know, isn't that surprising. But, yeah, he... I tell you what, this Dennis Grachev, he actually got stopped in one round once upon a time back in 2013 by Edwin Rodriguez, who you know really well, Eddie. So, uh, cool stuff there. But, um, yeah, anyway, good good stuff for Marcus Brown. Back to winning ways. And then the other Brown that we were going to speak of is, well, I don't even know where to start or how to describe this, but going to Australia, this one took place yesterday. Um... At the Wynn Entertainment Centre in New South Wales, Australia. So over here we had Paul Galen or Paul Gallen, I'm not sure. He's a former rugby player. Um, I actually thought he was making his debut, but I got that completely wrong. He was actually 10-0 and 0 with a draw, but he hadn't boxed anyone of note at all. Like his best, you know, on paper, his best win against a guy who... You know, had like the best looking record of a guy that he beat was a guy who was 12 and 5. And he gets in there against Lucas Brown, 29 and 2 with 25 KOs. Obviously, his only losses came to Dave Allen and Dillian White. And he is stopped in one round by Paul Galen or Gallon or whatever the hell the guy's name is. Um, absolutely embarrassing, I have to say it. And Lucas Brown's a friend of the show. I really have a soft spot for Lucas Brown. If he really did go to Chechnya and knock out Ruslan Shagayev in a fight where he was dropped himself, if he got back up and knocked him out and wasn't on illegal substances, you know, which they think he was and he swears he didn't, and I kind of believe him, um, and, you know, they stripped him because they found stuff in his system and he said, you know, it was all lies or whatever... I actually believe him. I actually think that he went from being a bouncer, being a doorman, to becoming a heavyweight world champion or getting a version of the of the title, if you like. I think that was an inspiration. I think that's incredible. I, I really have a soft spot for the guy. But since getting stripped, he has had an awful run. And this really, you know, this, this puts a full stop to it. I think he needs to retire. Um, this guy was 39. I know that Lucas Brown's 42, 
and you know he's he's obviously old himself but this guy's only 3 years younger it's not like this guy's 20 years younger you know a 22 year old guy on the come up this is a guy who's 39 who who came to the sport late who hadn't boxed anyone and he's done it in a round and it was it was it was bad because the commentators and I'm going to do a really bad um a really bad Australian accent here, but Lucas Brown was down twice, by the way, in that first round, and he, he didn't beat the count on the second time, and the commentators were saying that Paul Galen is now, um, I'm not even going to do the Australian accent, but they were saying he's a legit boxer, and, you know, the other commentator was saying, there's no doubt about it, mate, and, oh, they said Dillian White needed rounds, Dave Allen needed rounds, he only did it with a perfect body shot, and this guy Paul Galen has, has just done it in one round. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like, come on. This is terrible. Lucas Brown, you know, he's he's fallen so hard from winning a world title to, to where he is now. He's, he's terrible. Um, I, I Like I said, I've got a lot of time for Lucas. I really like the guy, but that is it. I, you know... It's, it's, this is bad. This is bad for the sport at this point, and it's bad for his health. He needs to forget it, man. Surely there's no fights for him now. You know? Could you imagine if they actually tried to make him against David Price or something like that? Please, don't get any ideas. Anyway, that's it for the review part. We're ending on a bit of a negative one there, unfortunately. Um, like I say, the one interview is going to be at the very end of the show, but this is the end of part one. And when we resume in a couple of seconds, we will be beginning part two with the news part of the show. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Uh, we're going to start here with a brilliant lineup that Showtime and PBC have announced. So all these fight fight nights are going to be on Showtime. Um, Eddie, there's some great, great fights that's been announced here. So we're going to start here with May the 15th. Lewis Neary, the undefeated WBC Super Bantamweight World Champion, takes on the undefeated Brandon Figueroa. That is a brilliant fight. I absolutely love that fight there at 122. And by the way, Stephen Fulton will be boxing the winner of that fight, which they're trying to do on September 11th. So um, Lewis Neary against Brandon Figueroa, the winner takes on Stephen Fulton and that one of course will be a unification fight um May the 29th, Nordinu Bali takes on Nonito Donaire. Uh, Jamal Charlo takes on Juan Montiel. That's on June the 19th. That one, by the way, is the worst fight of the of the lot. I uh, hate to say it. Um, on pay-per-view on June 26th, Javonte Davis takes on Mario Barrios. Both guys undefeated there. And on the undercard of, of that one, Erickson Lubin against Jason Banana Rosario. Um, July the 3rd, Chris Colbert takes on Uriorkis Gamboa for the WBA Super Featherweight Interim title. July 17th, Jamel Charlo takes on Brian Castaño, a guy with um, a perfect record aside from his draw against Irislandi Lara. He's a great fighter, Castaño, with wins over the likes of Errol Spence in the amateurs. Um... August 14th, Guillermo Rigondo takes on John Real Casimero for the WBO Bantamweight World title. Um, August 29th is the final one. David Benavidez takes on Jose Uzcategui. That one's for the WBC Super Middleweight title elimination. Um, that's an eliminator there. Um, 
to close in on the WBC title. David Benavidez, I think, is going to become like a three or four-time uh, super middleweight world champion. Um, well, actually, Canelo's got the belt at the minute, so I'm not sure if it's going to be that smooth. And uh, like I say, uh, September 11th, Stephen Fulton takes on the winner of Luis Neri and Brandon Figueroa there for a unification. Um Brilliant fights there. Another fight has been announced, this one to take place in the UK on June the 5th. Daniel Dubois coming off that loss to Joe Joyce. He steps in for the WBA interim heavyweight world title. I'm not sure how they've managed to deliver this one, but he takes on Bogdan Dinu, who, of course, um, I think lost his O to Jarrell Big Baby Miller, I believe it was. Anyway, that should be an easy night's work there for Daniel Dubois. Um, we have Elwin Soto defending his world title against uh, Katsunari Takayama. That's going to be the chief support bout on the undercard of uh, Canelo against Billy Joe Saunders, May 8th. So, Matrim have announced that one there. Anthony Yarb was supposed to be returning to the ring this weekend, but he has had to withdraw from his fight. Not quite sure why. Um, I think it's actually something to do with uh, Anthony Yard's tooth. I think he's got some kind of problem uh, with one of his teeth or something like that. So he's out, unfortunately, of that one. It was going to be nice to see him and Callum Johnson on the same card, but that's not happening. He won't be fighting. And the final piece of news, if anything else develops from now to the end of the show, I'll mention it at the very end. Um, but, but we have here Terry Harper will be defending her WBC and IBO Super Featherweight World titles against the undefeated WBA World Champion Hyun Michoy. That's going to be um, in Manchester on May the 15th. And on the undercard, we've also got Joshua Boatze and a bunch of other fights on the card. I think three European title fights, if I'm not mistaken. Um, involving the likes of um, Tommy McCarthy. We've got Lerone Richards against Giovanni DeCarolis, and we've got Gamal Yafai against Jason Cunningham. So a couple decent fights on the undercard there. Jason Cunningham seems like he's boxed absolutely everyone. But anyway, that's it for the news part of the show. Moving on now to the preview part. Uh, we're going to start here with a card that actually takes place later tonight um, at the Landers Center in Mississippi. Over here, Sharif Rackman, son of Hassim Rackman. Um, he is 4 0. He's in a four rounder, no opponent just yet. Oh, it's, it's getting on. Uh, tomorrow night in Spain at the Palau Olympic Val de Hebron in Barcelona, Catalonia. Over here, I think it's going to be on the zone. Over here. Um, we have Kerman Laharaga, 31-2, in there against Jez Smith, 12-2 with a draw over 10 rounds. All the best to Jez Smith. Should be an interesting fight. Jez Smith's a lot better than his record suggests, but, you know, Kerman Laharaga is a bit of a beast, actually. So I'm not sure Jez Smith has got enough, but I'd love to see him do it. Also on the card, Sandor Martin, 37-2, one of Spain's best fighters, pound for pound, takes on Kay Prosper, who's 14-1 with a draw. That one's for the EBU European Super Lightweight title there, over 12 rounds. All the best to Kay Prosper, who is trained by Xavier Miller, the, the same guy that trains 
Dillian White, friend of the show, friend of mine, um, and also on the card, and Donnie Gargo, 24-3 and three with three draws. That's a 12-rounder there. Gargo's been in there with the likes of Lee Selby. He takes on friend of the show, Gavin McDonald, 22-2 and two with two draws. That one, of course, is for the EBU European featherweight title. Um... So, yeah, all the best to Gavin McDonald in that one. Um, should be an interesting fight. Probably goes the distance there. So, hopefully, Gavin McDonald gets a fair shake on the cards. Moving out now to the convention center in Jinawan, um, in, in, in Japan over here. Daigo Higa, former world champion, now 17 and 1 with a draw. 17 of his wins have all come by knockout. His one loss came by knockout. And the only time he went the distance was when it was a draw. He's in a 12 rounder for the WBO Asia Pacific Bantamweight title against Ryosuke Nishida, who's 3 0. Uh, moving out now to York Hall, Bethnal Green, London. This one's going to be on BT Sport over here. We've got the undefeated heavyweight 5 0, 5 KOs, David Adelaide. No opponent just yet for him. Uh, we have Callum Johnson, 18 and 1, fighting for the vacant WBO Global Light Heavyweight title against Emil Markic, who's 32 and 2. Quite a padded record there. Like I say, no Anthony Yard on the card, which is a bit of a shame. And the main event is an absolute cracker. Denzel Bentley, 14 and 0 with a draw. He puts his British middleweight title on the line against the Commonwealth middleweight champion, the the also undefeated Felix Cash, who's 13 and 0. That's over 12 rounds. It of course is Eddie Hearn against Frank Warren, really, because Eddie Hearn's got Felix Cash and Frank Warren has got Denzel Bentley. It's a fight we didn't think was going to end up happening, but very rarely we do get to see the two promoters work together, and this is one of those times it's going to be a cracker, I'm sure. Um... Moving out now to the States for the final card to mention. It takes place at the Silver Spurs Arena in Florida. Over here we have Emmanuel Navarrete, 32-1, defending his WBO World Featherweight title against Christopher Diaz, 26-2. That's over 12 rounds. And the young knockout kid who is taking out every man in the first round. He's managed to do it all 16 times. He takes on, oh, I didn't even say his name. You should know it by now, Edgar Belanga. He's in an eight-rounder against Demond Nicholson, who's 23-3 and with a draw, the, the man from Maryland. Um, I remember Demond Nicholson boxing Jesse Hart, and I think he wanted a way out of that fight, if I remember correctly. Um, so, yeah, I don't like his chances against Belanga. I think he's going to feel the power early, possibly in the first round. And he, I don't think, will last very long. But can he become the first man to take Belanga into the second round? We shall see. What an exciting fighter Belanga is. You've got to tune in. It is, uh, it, it always, you know, is exciting. It always kind of brings you that, um, that, I don't know what the word is, that, that, what am I looking for? What's the word there, Eddie? You know, you want to watch a guy to see if someone could take him into the second round. It's, I guess it's thrilling. I don't know what the word is right now. Yeah. That anticipation. Can he do it, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. That's, a, that's a good word. Just to kind of kind of see if it can happen. I mean, it's crazy to think, to guess if we can get a guy that could actually take a fighter into the second round. It's not that common that people get knockouts like that. That's That's impressive. That just shows how, how good of a fighter he really is and how powerful he really is, too. So, hey, you know what I mean? I'm looking forward to seeing, like, to see it if it, not only can he get put in the second round, but maybe even actually have a round where he may lose a round. 
think about that. He's never been out of the first round, so obviously he's never been in danger of losing a round. So imagine that. You know what I mean? Adversity for him would be, I guess, you know, having somebody throw some punches back. <laughs> I guess. But uh, yeah, he just seems like a special fighter right now. Yeah, all those judges that turn up to to judges' fights, free judges. So, uh, what's he had? He's had sixteen fights, so three judges each time. So that's forty-eight judges that have been paid for doing absolutely nothing. They didn't even need to bring a pen and paper with them. How funny is that? Um, all the best to Edgar Belanga, and I will be tuning in just for the excitement, just for the anticipation. Can Damon Nicholson take him into into round two, into uncharted territory, as they say? But anyway, that's it for the reviewing. That's it for the news. That's it for the preview part of the show. Just before we wrap up part two, the final thing to do is to welcome our sole guest on this week's show. It's a lengthy interview. It's very in-depth. It's a, it's a guy that has shared many, many rounds with my co-host, Mr. Eddie Chambers. And that man, of course, is the former two-time heavyweight world champion, Mr. Tim Witherspoon. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former two-time heavyweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Tim Witherspoon. Tim, welcome to the show, my friend. And I prefer you just call me Tim. I know you just say Mr. Tim, but that's cool. Tim is cool. I feel at home. <laughs> there we go. So, Tim, I'd like to start where I always start these kinds of, these kinds of interviews. Um, tell me, you know, where did your boxing story start off? What's your earliest memory, perhaps, ever ever putting on a pair of gloves for the first time, maybe? Oh, yeah. I, I was real young when we put on some gloves, but that was only for play. Um, I, I would really, we, me and my brothers and a lot of my friends were groomed to be American football, baseball, and basketball players. Boxing really wasn't in the picture when I was young. Um, and when I first really seriously put on uh, gloves or thought about it, I was 21 years old. So all before that, all before that, it was other sports. I was athletic, and, and uh, um, uh, my uh, god brother, Tommy Wade, who passed away, God bless him, he taught a lot of, of young people in our neighborhoods. Well, mainly, there was mainly like about, seven of us, but then everybody in the neighborhood, neighborhood he was good to, but he, he emphasized on getting us ready, me and my, the mighty crusaders, they call us at the time, as young kids. And of course, you had that really brief amateur career. Am I right in saying you only had about five or six amateur fights, Tim? Yeah, seven. I heard, I thought it was five or six, and then they told me it was seven. <laughs> uh, my last fight was with, was with Marvis Frazier, uh, Joe Frazier's son. Yeah. Um, you know, these guys had like 80 and 90 amateur fights, or I'm maybe exaggerating, maybe 60 or, or 50. I only had like uh, six fights, and then I fought uh, uh, Joe Frazier's son. And, wow. and um, so I lacked experience. I lacked experience. He got a decision. Um, he got a decision. And um, But then when I turned pro, I, a lot of people stayed away from me. I turned pro, and we'll get into that. Yeah, for sure. And um, obviously, you know, you're noted as, as you know, being a sparring partner for Muhammad Ali. Um, had you made yeah. your pro debut at that point, or were you still sparring him when you was amateur, Tim? I don't think I made my pro debut. I don't think, no, I don't think, uh, because I was sparring with Matthew Saad Muhammad, who was the light heavyweight champ of the world, and I was up at Muhammad Ali's training camp uh, training, and that's when Ali came in. So I think I only had amateur fights. Wow. And um, I was sparring with Saad Muhammad, and then uh, uh, then, then uh, Muhammad Ali just bust in the camp out of nowhere. He, he stopped our he stopped us from training, 
because you, you know, here these cars pulled up. He said, who is that? I was boxing, and then Ali came, got out the car. I was, I didn't see it, and he opened up the door, and then everything stopped. <laughs> everything stopped, and we, we started talking to him. So I don't think I had any fights when I was Muhammad Ali's farm partner. Wow. And, Tim, before we no. get onto your pro career, I want to ask you, have you got any cool Muhammad Ali stories? Oh, wow. Muhammad Ali, I do. I do. Uh, well, me and Aaron Snowwell, me and Aaron Snowwell, this one is like, uh, okay, me and Aaron Snowwell, who was my second, Slim Robinson was my trainer and teacher. But Aaron Snowwell went on to uh, train with Mike Tyson, uh, a lot of, and uh, Timmy Austin, he, he helped uh, make them become champion. And so me and him, we was after, you know, after we, we trained with Muhammad Ali, I trained sparring with him. Uh, so we was, like, cool with Ali, and Ali told us, <laughs> Ali told us to uh, follow Veronica. You know, she, we, we would go down to the, afterwards, go down to the, like, the club on a Friday, just, not, not every Friday, just go, we go down there sometimes, it was called the Alley, this disco. So Ali told us to, uh, to go down there and make sure, see if everything cool down there, right? So we, me and Aaron Snowwell went down there. We were spies. So we saw her dancing with uh, this boxer named, uh, I forgot his name, Mike or something. Well, anyway, we saw them dancing. So we ran, we drove back up to the hill and got Muhammad. And then Muhammad got, we got in the car and we drove Muhammad down to the, this, it was called the Ali. It was a discotheque. So we came to the front door. We, we we went in the front door, and so we went around looking for her, and we went and found her. And then we came we came back and said, "Ali, look, she's right over there." They were dancing, they were slow dancing. So as soon as Ali walked towards the big crowd, there was a big crowd. They saw him, and just like the water parted and Moses, and when the, the story about Moses parted the water, that's how the people they did they they reacted. And Ali walked straight up to him. And her, so um, we took we went back to the, we went back to the uh, to the camp, and I heard that he had a big fight and argument in, in there. And um, the next day we sparred with the guy. We we beat up on him. So <laughs> we beat, so that was a that was one is uh, one of the good stories that you know that 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 there you know it was really cool being his like his lookout for him. You know, so he went to Indonesia with me when I fought over in Indonesia. He was down in um, uh, he was down in Georgia when I fought Tony Tubbs. He came down there, he sparred with me there. He sparred me when I fought Bruno, I think, um, and Larry Holmes, I think. So it was a great experience uh, working with Muhammad Ali. But that was uh, we was like his spies. <laughs> now that's an amazing story man if i was that guy as soon as you guys came in the front door i'd have been straight out the back door i think that was the best thing he should have done um <laughs> yeah but he didn't know he didn't know he didn't he didn't know that we were we was we were doing that yeah, yeah you yeah. know you were and, good spies. And it was cool spies. <laughs> yeah you don't do that you don't do that to the champ no, you know you're dancing with his, his girl and and it was alleged that he was trying to you know do other things but that wasn't going to work yeah. got a lot of nerve Got a lot of nerve, huh? Yeah, a lot of nerve, man. Like I say, he should have <laughs> he should have ran straight out that back door when he saw Muhammad. Um, getting on to your 
Getting on to your to your excellent pro career, you turned pro on October 30th, 1979, in your hometown of Pennsylvania. Um, do you remember much yeah. about your pro debut? You boxed Joe Adams. It took you yeah. one round to get him out of there. Yeah, yeah. I was real nervous. Um, it was in that uh, uh, the, it was a 69th Ninth Street Arena. It was in um, it was in uh, Upper Darby. That was Upper Darby. And in the arena it used to be like roller skating ring where they had roller skate and uh, activity, you know, teams. So uh, I got to the, we got to the arena. It was my first fight. I was nervous as hell. I was nervous. Um, I did have one of the best trainers uh, that that ever lived. One of them. He's one of the best, Slim Robinson. And um, but at that time he was my trainer, and I I, didn't, I, I knew he was good. But I didn't really uh, sink it. I mean, it didn't sink in until I started winning the fights. But I was in the dressing room. I was the walkout bout. It was a. It was a. I was the walkout bout. It was a whole lot of other fights in front of me, and I was nervous as hell. And to top it off, the Olympic champ uh, Terrell Biggs came in near the end. You like? I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm fighting this guy. He was way bigger than me. Uh, Joey Joey Adams was way bigger than me. I think about seventy pounds heavier. And um, I'm up here waiting. I just, man, I was just dying, sitting there waiting. And then to top it off, Terrell Biggs comes in. And I'm sitting there. And he, hey, congratulate Tim. Not congratulations. This your first one, man. Do well. Uh, and then um, and then uh, uh, right after that, they came and got us. We went out there. I was looking at Joey Adams. I said, oh, that's a big dude. But I got him out of there the first round. And then, then um, a lot of stress, not stress, but a lot of pressure just relieved. I was happy. Uh, and as the fights, as I started getting fights, they started getting, I was nervous uh, all, all the fights. But then eventually, as my skills started getting better, this nervousness started leaving earlier than usual. Yeah. and No, I like to always ask about guys' pro debuts because it's surprising to yeah. some of us when we think, wow, you were nervous and you went on to obviously be such a great fighter. It's interesting. Um, I want to just briefly talk about this one. I was going to perhaps skip this one out, but I want to I want to touch on it here. Um, if we jump forward to February 7th, 1981, you box the undefeated at the time, Marvin Stinson. Now, Stinson was a really good amateur. And like yeah. I say, he was undefeated when you boxed him that night in Atlantic City. Uh, the first time as well yeah. that you went 10 rounds as a pro tell me what you remember about that night there it was probably your biggest win at the time Tim yeah that was that was um um you know and I felt bad because um I heard about him I knew of him I knew of Marvin Stinson he was a really nice person but we had to fight and um uh really the fight he had experience and um the fight was I'm not going to say it was easy but in a way it was you know what I'm saying so by the, by, by the time I fought him, you know, by the time, it was a hard fight. It was a hard fight because he had more experience than me. And, I, you know, I, I, think I, I think I almost stopped him maybe twice in the fight. And here's a guy that has more experience than me and everything. But I, won, I got the decision, and after the fight I felt bad because I found out that um, he was in, in, in the line for a title shot or a big money fight with uh, – well, I forgot who it was, but I bumped him out of fighting uh, a, a big fight, uh, and he was going to make a lot of money, and I felt kind of bad about that. But it was a it was a challenging fight. Um, I was still learning. He was more experienced than me. It, you know, it was just that I know that uh, my trainer, when he picked the fights, that um, 
that um, um, I would be ready for him. Uh, he always was was um, uh, he was always well. You could do it, Tim. You could do it. And I was doubting a lot a couple of times. Not that I couldn't really beat him, but is it too soon? Just like when we fought Larry Holmes. Yeah, and and again, I only... thought it was too soon. I thought it was too soon, and it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And again, only 10 months later, you, you gather a bigger win. Uh, you box the eventual WBC Cruiserweight World Champion, the undefeated Alfonso Ratliff at the Playboy Hotel yeah. and Casino. Uh, you knocked yeah. him out in seven rounds. A brilliant win again. Oh, yeah. That was, you know, that was a crossroad fight. In, in, in your boxing uh, uh, history and boxers, in, in their history, there's always crossroad fights where you have to fight somebody to move on to a bigger and better things. Um, and a lot of times you build your boxer up and some tough fights and then, you know, some easy fights. But this was definitely a crossroad fight. And, and, and um, this was a fight that's going to determine whether I'm going to go on to get a belt or go on to bigger and better things. And so I had to be in shape and I had to win this one. Um, so he moved up to, to heavyweight. Uh, and, and try to, and you know, we did a lot of mouth and back and forth, you know, all the, the hoopla before the fight. Um, he was aggressive. I was aggressive. He did his, his, his skills. I did my skills. And I finally caught him in uh, the seventh round and ended the fight. Uh, so the fight proved who was the better boxer and better uh, champion to be. Um, but now he's my one of my best friends. He's one of my best friends. We keep in touch. And uh, that's what's What's good about boxing? You get to be friends afterwards. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, yeah. So, he's a good friend. He's a good friend right now. No, but I knocked really him cool. out. I felt really good. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, after that, obviously, you beat Luis Acosta. Then you go on to fight former heavyweight world title yeah. challenger, Ronaldo Snipes. Um, only, yeah. I think it was seven months earlier, he lost to Larry uh, Larry Holmes, he was able to drop Larry, but you know Larry ended up stopping him. Here yeah. you are, though, in the opposite corner. You beat him by majority decision after ten at the Caesar's Palace, June the fifth, nineteen eighty-two. Yeah. Tell me about that one, Tim. Yes, he. You know, yeah. I, you know, I was I wasn't worried about him. I had good defense, but he did. He do got a good right hand because that's what he dropped Larry Holmes with. Um, but he ran a lot, so when the bell rung. Whoever whoever uh, was in his corner, um, you know, didn't give him good good advice. I was young, um, I was ready. Uh, you know, I didn't want I didn't want to lose the fight, but their strategy uh, was wrong. So he ran the whole fight. He ran the whole fight, and I had to chase him. And he had he had hard punch. He hit me a couple of times, and I said, "Whoa!" And after the fight, I seen he got big hands too. <laughs> um, so I think they had a, a strategy that that didn't work for him for that fight because he kept running and trying to hit and trying to hit and move. Um, I think he would have did a lot better uh, slowing down and try to trade punches, but have a good defense. Um, so I, I do believe that I was going to win that fight anyway, but their strategy wasn't wasn't really on top because uh, he ran the whole fight, and I think that's what took a lot from the judges. And the crazy thing about that fight is in 
in Snipes' very next fight, he went on to beat Trevor Burbick, of course. And uh, yeah. your next fight obviously came uh, against Larry Holmes for the WBC heavyweight world title. At the time, Larry Holmes was 42-0. and The fight takes place in Vegas, May 20th, 1983. Yeah. You lose a split decision after 12 rounds. Did you feel you did enough to win? Yeah, I did. I did. We prepared... Matter of fact, Alfonso Ratliff and all these heavyweights that Don King had, we were all in the training camp uh, pushing me because when Slim first, my trainer Slim Robinson first uh, said said to me, uh, um, um, you know, Don King said it first. He said, "Yo, you gonna fight? You gonna fight uh, Larry Holmes?" And then uh, when when it was presented to Slim, I said, "Yo, Slim, ain't it kind of too soon?" My trainer said, "Man, you gonna whip his behind." He said, believe me, Tim, you're going to whip him. He said, just listen to me, and let's do the right things, get in shape, and you're going to whip him. And as soon as he said that, because he was my confidence then. Here I am, a young guy, just coming in, everybody else, with all these other fights, and I needed a good trainer or else I wouldn't have made that far. So, um, yeah, we, we, we was training in Don King's camp, everybody chopping wood, running every day, eating properly. Everybody wanted me to win. Um, so we flew to Vegas. Uh, we flew to Vegas, and a lot of uh, Larry Holmes' tactics was to try to scare me. But as soon, soon as I got to the hotel, soon as like any time I was in his, around his presence, uh, he was trying to intimidate me. But he didn't realize where I came from. Uh, uh, I had a lot of supporters, South Philadelphia, not too far from the Italian market where Rocky made the movie. Sylvester Stallone, where he made the movie in the Italian market, is only five minutes, ten minutes walking. Five minutes by car. The steps where Rocky ran up was only 15 minutes away by car. He, You know, the neighborhood I came from had Italian, Irish, Jewish, blacks, and, and, and had a multi-culture. But mainly the neighborhood I came, that I lived in was like black. It was very few whites. And I had to represent. I had to represent. I was going to never let him back me up. I was going to never let him, you know, because I had to not go back home. They still love me if, if I get knocked out or anything or beat. But I know I had good people behind me in the area. So I'm the real Rocky. I was a two-time heavyweight champ from Philadelphia. And and, 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 and um, I'm, I'm the real, in real life, the Rocky. Uh, um, so, so um, you know, he tried to intimidate me, and it didn't work. Because I, I know that when I go back home, um, I had to look in a lot of faces, even though they would support me, and they didn't care whether I lose or win, but I didn't want to go home a loser. So what Larry Holmes did wrong was he was trying to intimidate me in pub in the public, in front of people, and I did not back off. 60 Minutes is a, is a, is a very uh, prestigious uh, uh, show that comes on in America, 60 Minutes. They have all kind of stuff on their show on Sundays. And they were filming Larry Holmes. I happened to be down in the lobby. I happened to be down in the lobby with David Bay, Mitch Green, a lot of other people were just standing down the lobby in the uh, Dunes Hotel. And so Larry stopped on the cameras and came over and tried to intimidate me and everything. So I stood up to him right in front of the camera and said, come on, let's go right now. I had a little drink in my hand. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's go now. So I started walking towards him, like, you know, the cameras was on and everything, and then everybody, like, got in the middle of it and broke it up um, and everything. So 
He was just trying to intimidate me, and it didn't work, and I think that scared him because it didn't intimidate him. So, oh, this didn't scare Tim. I better think of something else. So then they did other things too, but that didn't work. So um, I wanted to really win this fight. I wasn't, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't scared or anything. This one fight I wanted to win. This would set me off into my next level. So when the bell rung, it was just me and him. I had better skills than him. He had a good jab. If you look at the fight, I got better skills than him. Defensively, offensively, he had a good jab. We took his jab away. And once we took his strength away, the fight was won. The fight was won. But um, all these rounds, all these rounds, we was going back and forth. And then the, that ninth, what is the ninth round? When I really came slim, told me, come on, Tim, you got to put the pressure on him. And I hit him. I hit him with that uh, uh, overhand right, and then I try. I was inexperienced. I, I was going too fast. I was going too fast. So when I hurt Larry Holmes in the ninth round, inexperienced uh, set in because I just tried to throw punches from everywhere. And then when I went back to the corner, my trainer told me, look, you should have took your time, you know, took your time and, and, and uh, placed your shots. We could have got him out of there. So that was inexperienced in, on that ninth round. Um because I should have took my time. Once you hurt your opponent, that's when you're supposed to relax so you can set your shots off and place them in the right areas so you can get this guy out of there. But I was in an experience. Larry experienced uh, weathered the storm, and he lasted that round. And so, you know, it went on to the 12th. He won the decision. Uh, it could have went my way. I was happy because uh, I, I was happy because – I did what I did to the great Larry Holmes. I was satisfied. I felt I won, but I knew I wasn't going to win before the fight unless I knock him out. And as I, as as I said, you know, obviously you sparred Muhammad Ali. Larry Holmes obviously was yeah. a sparring partner for yeah. uh, for Muhammad back in the day. I don't think your paths crossed though, because there was a little difference with the. Uh, or did your paths cross? Oh no, Larry was already Larry when I sparred with Ali. Larry was already champion, and and um, Larry, I was twenty years old, twenty one. Larry Holmes is already champions. Um, I never crossed his path, but I heard that he was uh, inquiring about me, asking about me. Who's this young new heavyweight? This is the word was going around in Easton, excuse me, in Philadelphia. Uh, there was. People in the boxing gyms were saying that he was concerned about this new heavyweight that's coming out of Philadelphia. So, um, uh, you know, he he uh, he he he, uh, he even was sending people to, uh, uh, from what I heard, to see what I look like, so he can get 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 an answer, you know, uh, uh, get a, a good idea about who it was, how did he fight, and all that. So, um, okay. you know, he was concerned about Tim Witherspoon. So he was trying to send spies to the master spy. <laughs> yeah. Say that again. He was trying to send the spy send... for you, but you was already experienced with being a spy yourself. You can't spy on a spy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. I like the way you add that in there. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, he was nervous. He wanted to reach that uh, Rocky Marciano's uh, record. He wanted to, uh, you know, he didn't want nothing to get in his way. And Don King was giving him tough guy, tough fights. And that's how IBF was created, because Larry Holmes didn't want to fight none of the young Turks. After I, after I, after Snipes, and then after me, he wanted the easy, he wanted the easy 
an easy ride to to be to beat Rocky Marciano's records. Two things I think that stopped that is he talked about Rocky Marciano negatively. Ne- negatively, he talked about him, and there was something else he did. I forgot. I forgot what he did. What what slowed him down um, uh, from from him reaching that record? Michael Spinks beat him. Michael Spinks beat him. So he created the IBF so he can get a clear road to being beating Rocky Marciano's record, but it didn't work out that way. And this is what I was told. That's how the IBF was created. Larry Holmes didn't want to fight no more than the young Turks, the young guys like me. And so he went to Bob Lee of the IBF, and that's they created the IBF. And he's continuing on fighting in the IBF, but he still lost. Yeah. Yeah, come back. That's how the IBF was created. Yeah, that's how the IBF IBF was created. Yeah, that's how it was created because he didn't want to fight no more on the WBC and the WBA controlled uh, presidents was having him fighting the tough guys. He wanted to control who he could fight so he can reach Rocky Marciano's record. Now, this is what I was told, and it all feels like there's a lot of truth in it, too. Yeah, sounds like that to me as well. Um, yeah, because he just went over the I. He just went over to Bob Lee and IBF and started uh, um, dealing with them, and not the WBC and the WBA to try to finish the rest of his career off. Okay, interesting, interesting for yeah. sure. Um, yep. That that obviously lost to Larry. I feel like it kind of turned you into a better fighter because you know you go on quite a good run after that. Two months later, you you return to winning ways against the. Now, this is a uh, an unusual one against the convicted murderer turned professional boxer Floyd Cummins. Um, you beat Jumbo. him unanimously. Yeah, you beat him unanimously over ten. Then you box former heavyweight world title challenger James Tillis, and you become the quickest man to stop him by knocking him out in the very yeah. first round. Um, do you want to say a word on wow. either of those fights, Tim? After the um, Larry Holmes fight, you know, I only went home with like fifty thousand. When I knew that if I would have been represented properly, I should have went home with a lot more than that. Um, so I had, I think I got 125000 And out of that, they took all the money. So I went home like 60000 or 50000 thousand. So um, I was kind of upset, kind of like, you know, after that. Um, and I heard a lot of stories about Don King and the way he do things. Even before that, I knew. I wasn't surprised. Uh, so... Uh, I'm, you know, I was getting ready for a lot, a lot of, a lot of training for some of these fights after Larry Holmes. Uh, I really couldn't. I trained, but then I didn't because I heard a lot of bad things before I was with Don King. I didn't want to really go with Don King, um, and and a lot of things was going on. So I was kind of frustrated in my head. Uh, I trained, I couldn't train, and I could train, and. You know, when I fought, I fought Jumbo Cummins. It really wasn't. I really didn't really train hard, hard with him. To, with him, uh, to me, he was an opponent, even though he was winning fights. Uh, then after that, I fought uh, James Quick Tillis. James Quick Tillis was. I was supposed to fight him the first time. Uh, I was supposed to fight James Quillis. Quick Tillis. Um, I had got an ear infection. And um, I went to the doctors like two weeks before the fight, and they said, hey, you can't even spar anymore. If you get hit in the air, you can lose your equilibrium, or you can probably lose your life. That's how bad my ear infection was. So they had to call the – they was calling the fight off. They called the fight off. 
Then they re they redid the fight. They re they re um, scheduled established the fight. Yeah, they're, yeah. And so I got ready for that one. We was chopping wood and everything. So we we got down to the fight where the fight was. And so just so happened, um, James Quick Tillis was getting in the same elevator as we was, <laughs> right? And he said, "Yeah." He, he said, "Yeah." Uh, I know you didn't want to fight me. You were scared of me. I said, "What?" Yeah, we was in the elevator. He said, yeah, you were scared of me, man. You know, he said, I know you a little punk or something like that. He, he, he was like, yeah, you didn't want to fight me. I know you didn't want to fight me. Man, don't you know when that fight came off, I remembered all that, him saying that. We got in the elevator, and he was, like, teasing me. And then when I got into the fight, I showed him who was boss. I stopped him in 10 rounds. Tyson took him 10 rounds. He stopped him in uh, one, one round, he did one a, round. One you said I took him in one, but he went <laughs> yeah. 10 rounds with Tyson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that was a really good fight. I do believe, I do believe it, um, that if he would have lasted the first round, I think his the little bit of experience that he had, I think would have uh, helped him um, really get in the fight or stay in the fight. But I think I, I, I gradually uh, would have probably knocked him out or won the fight. I caught him early. Yeah, and like I say, he had a fantastic nickname for that for that fight. It was quick. It was over very quickly in the first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm always I'm friends with everybody. Since the fight's over, you know, it's it's all about yeah. the fight. After the fight, we got to live our lives. Of course, and in the meantime, like you say, Larry Holmes had had vacated the WBC due to that dispute yeah. with Don King. He didn't want to fight Greg Page. Yeah. This chain of of events would then lead you to making history, and that win over Tillis set you up to to fight for the vacant WBC heavyweight world title against Greg Page. Uh, the fight took yeah. place March the ninth, nineteen eighty four, in Vegas. You won the fight by majority decision over twelve. Uh, tell us about the night you achieved. I'm guessing what must have been your boyhood dream of becoming a world champion Tim well yeah it, it, it was it, it was my dream to, to win the heavyweight championship of the world but um, at that particular fight both of, both of us me and Greg Page were kind of like uh, upset uh, you know I wasn't really that much ex 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 upset because of the payday and the way we were being treated by the promoter um, so excuse me he, I think he did the best he could um, I know that I was going. I wanted to win. I wanted to win, but I was kind of like upset too uh, about about the pay we was getting for the fight. Um, so uh, he, I sparred with Greg Page several times um, before that fight. Not directly, like years before that. I kind of like knew his style um, and everything. I knew he could take a he could take a pretty good punch. Uh, uh, so you know, I just had to out hustle. He was doing pity padding, and I was just trying to look, try to look aggressive, and 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 act like I'm wanting to win the fight, which I did. So I would try to be the aggressor and throw hard shots, um, but he would. I think he was trying to win just pity padding. And if you look at the fight, um, he very, he very rarely threw really hard punches, but he did. When he threw him, he threw him hard, but he would pity pad, thinking that the judges, I think, would give him, uh, would give him uh, points. Some you don't sometimes your punches have to be, uh, you know, strong and depend like they, you gotta you gotta look they gotta they look like they're really hitting not little slaps. So the judge is not gonna go. So to me, if you watch the fight, it looked like he was pop 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 pop, but I was hitting him hard. He hit me hard a couple of times. So 
the two young guys in the ring, two two uh, boxers, Greg Page and Tim Witherspoon, both set out to be champions one day, and I uh, I edged them on it and got the championship. And what did that feel like, Tim? What was the like? How do you describe the the you know the feeling of becoming a world champion and like we said, you know, achieving your dream? Well, it wasn't did like life, Anthony did Joshua life change? or. No, it wasn't like Anthony Joshua or 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 Larry Holmes or or Tyson Fury or or Wilder in terms of finance, like feeling a good feeling, finances, somebody that's behind you that's going to push you. I don't know what that feeling is. Those guys, I got robbed out of that feeling. Those boxers got that feeling because they fought, they got paid properly, they were treated a certain way. Where we were treated. I was I, I was treated um I wasn't treated uh, uh properly um you know we all, guys in Don King's camp were, were were really not treated fully so um you know when I won the title I just felt like well the same thing's going to go on and on and on you're not going to get paid properly we're going to hear all this we're going to hear all that I'm sure those guys when they walked away from there after their fight everybody uh, uh praised them they had you know, they had, they had uh, I guess, they had little parties. Everybody respected them. You know, we were good boxers, but we didn't get respect because we. It was all here come them. Hear those boxers again getting ripped off. Oh, we got to hear this again. You know, getting ripped off. So it took a lot from us being champion. So after I won the title, I didn't feel. I don't think I felt like Tyson Fury or Muhammad Ali or or Larry Holmes. It was a down feeling. It wasn't a really happy feeling. I was like, okay, okay, everybody, thank you. But then we had to put. Then we had to what? We 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 uh uh. It was over. We walked back. Tell your family. Well, I can't pay for this. Pay for that. You know these type of things. And so it wasn't a feeling. I know for a fact, like these guys, these other champions had. So, um, and each time I won it. I felt the same way. The second time I, I won the title, the IRS came in and took all my money. I had to borrow money from Don King. So it, it really, yeah, it really, I really can't tell you um, the feeling that I was supposed to get. I was robbed from it. Um, I, but, you know, when I went back to my neighborhood, that's, you know, back in, back in Philly, uh, you know, everybody was happy. But they didn't really know what was going on. I told them later. Hmm. Okay, that's yeah, yeah that's uh, it's difficult to hear actually because uh, you know it's supposed to be full of joy, but obviously it's not like that for everyone. Like you say, times have definitely changed now. Um, yeah. Your world title reign would only be a short one. Five months later, you're set to defend the title against the undefeated Pinkland Thomas, August 31st, yeah. 1984. Uh, this time you end up losing by majority decision after 12. Uh, yeah. It must be a disappointing night now, looking back. Well, you know, um, after those events that happened, I was uh, I was really speaking up against what was going on. I'm, I'm going to say this. After it's all over, um, and, you know, me and Don made up, and I'll tell you about that. Um, right before the Pinkman Thomas fight, I was arguing and fighting. Even way before that, I was arguing and fighting about being mistreated financially and a lot of a couple of other different ways. So I knew that if I kept on, that I would have to knock Pinkman Thomas out. I knew I would have to. So um, 
Um, the thing, the thing was, uh, I kept on telling people all the wrong things, telling the newspapers. So I knew that I had to knock Pinkman Thomas out a month or two before the fight. You know, how about that? You, you got, you know, before the fight that you're going to have to knock this guy out, and you possibly get banded or, or you know, what I mean by banded, people will be like, be against you and everything, you know. So. I, so I didn't care. I just kept on speaking. I was t- tired of getting these small paydays and tired of being getting ripped off. So I went into the fight. Um, you know, I felt that I felt that I won. I felt that I won, but I knew what the circumstances was. I knew what was going on. I knew what was, what was going to happen if I didn't knock him out during the fight. So I just I just went through the motions, uh, you know. And 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 the results was I knew what the results was. I knew what the results was, and so I had to live with it. I knew what the results was going to be before the fight, uh, so I just had to go through the motions in the fight. I tried to win. Yeah, I tried to knock him out, but I knew for a fact that if I didn't, he was going to win, and Don King was going to get what he wanted, and that was the championship belt, and that's control, the WBC. And obviously, after that fight, we're now in 1985. You you kind of dropped down a right. level. You had five fights, five wins, including one against a guy who I'm sure we'll talk about later on, uh, James Bonecrusher Smith. Uh, you beat him unanimously over 12, though. Two fights after that is when yeah. you travel to the UK, to Birmingham, um, and you box Sammy Sammy Scaff. How did that end up in the UK? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think... I think... One, I, at the time, so I have to. We have to really help the boxers out because because you know we get left behind. I'm gonna go to talk to Sammy Scaff real quick. Um, um, you know, um, we don't have no no coverage. Nobody taking care of us when our career is over, keeping us abreast on what's going on in the boxing game. Once it is over, once it, once your career is over, um, um, that's it. You know, the boxing people, you don't have no programs to keep you involved in the boxing. They don't, you know, commentation. There's no commentating. Um, so, um, you, so oh, when we when I went over there for Sammy Scaff, I think that was, uh, I think I had left Don then, by then. And it was another promoter, I think, got me to fight, I think. I don't think it was Don King. So, uh, we went over there. It was yeah, I remember that clear as day because Azuma Nelson fought on the undercard. He fought Pat Cadell. That's right. Yeah. He fought Pat Cadell. Yeah, yeah. And um, I knew it was just a a, a warm up fight uh, for 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 whatever is going to happen after that. So um, it was a good fight. I even told Sammy. I said, look, <laughs> I said, look, man. Um, I think. Instead of you getting beat up, I think you should try to figure a way to don't go the whole ten rounds. Uh, and and I did. I was busting him up and everything. But I told him before the fight, it ain't worth it. Cause he over in another country. I was just trying to save him some punishment, <laughs> you know. And I wasn't really in. I wasn't really in no real good shape. But he was going to be an easy fight. But it turned out to be he was a little tough in the beginning. And um and um I got I got him out of there. But I did hit him with a good shot. I hit him with a good shot, um, you know. So I did that because um, because um, <laughs> he was going to get hurt. I, I had talked. I said, "Yo, man, you don't. Hey, you <laughs> you just an opponent." I said, "Hey, 
<laughs> you can get hurt. So whatever money you getting, you better you better uh, try to figure out if it's worth it. <laughs> Whether to stay in there and then so I, I got him good though. I got him out of there. Round four. And of course, that that fight takes us into January seventeenth, nineteen eighty six. Muhammad Ali's forty fourth birthday, but it was also the night you you fought Tony Tubbs for his WBA heavyweight world title. This one took place in Atlanta. On this occasion, it would be a majority decision win for you over fifteen rounds. Yeah. Tell us about the night you yeah. became two time world champion, Tim. Oh yeah, it was great. I used to spar uh, Tony Tubbs also. So Don King had us all in the camp training each other and sparring. So I'm, I'm, Tony's a good friend of mine, but I knew that Tony was slick. Tony was smart. Tony could punch a little. Not as hard as, um, uh, you know, the top heavyweights, but he can punch. He can punch too. But uh, I wasn't fearing his punch, but he was very slick, very intelligent with his boxing skills. And I know I had to be in shape for that fight. So, at that particular fight, both of us were still upset with Don King. Um, you know, we trained and everything, and um, you're going to be able to go 15 rounds if you didn't train. So, um, you know, we trained, we boxed. Uh, I was the aggressor. I was the aggressor. And even when I used to spar on him before, um, he just outslick you and try to spin you and bang you. And um, that's how he would win his fights. But I just was in his chest the whole fight. I just kept coming forward. And I knew that I would have won if I do that. But if I would have stayed on the outside and let him, uh, and let him um, jab me and outpoint me and box me, I think they would have gave it to him. But I think he had trouble with Don, Don, with Don King also at that time. And um, but, but either one of us could benefit off of a belt if we get it. But he tried and I tried and they, and, and they gave it to me. And Tim, what was the more satisfying uh, world title? I don't want to say rain, but I want to say what, basically, I simplify it. What was your favorite um, win of the world title? Was it the first time or the second time? Okay, great page of Tony Tubbs. Uh, neither one. I think I think they were symmetrical. I think they were the same in, in, in terms of me feeling a certain way. Um, let me see. Uh... The first one had this was a little bit more, and the second one, I went home with no money. I told you the IRS took my money. It was embarrassing. I was only getting fifty thousand, so it really wasn't no big occasion. It was a championship. It was big, but it, you know, afterwards it was the same sad song, the same sad song. So. Um, I think at that point, too, Don King was trying to uh, get Tyson to be on his team. Uh, so prior to that, he had told a lot of the heavyweights. He was, in the, he was in the training camp, and he pulled up in the limo, and he got out. I don't think it was a limo. It was a regular car. He got out and told everybody to come over. We was all sitting around him, and he started talking about Tyson. So we was all, like, around, and people was in the gym, so Don came out and and, and, start, and sat on the chair, and everybody came around, about 15 people, boxers. And um, he was telling all the heavyweights, he was like, hey, man, your guys better get in shape. There's this young kid named Mike Tyson, and uh, he's really tough. So I advise y'all to be in shape. And so we, we didn't pay him no mind. We said, who the hell is this Tyson guy? You know, we went on about our married business. Then when we seen him fight, we said, 
Oh, this is what he's talking about. So I think at that time, Don King was trying to uh, uh, trying to get Tyson on his, trying to get him on his team, try to steal Tyson, whatever. But we were going to be opponents, which which really would have turned out to be, you know. So um, that fight, that fight when I won the, the title with Tubbs, I tested positive for marijuana. My my birthday was on the December twenty seventh. The fight was on January the sixteenth when I fought Tubbs, and um, right afterwards I got right afterwards, you know, Don King uh, called me to to his office and started cussing at me. What the hell is you know? I got suspended and everything because of the marijuana. He took fifty thousand dollars from me, and no twenty five thousand dollar fine. And I, they sent me to a rehab, which I got laughed out of. Every time I went to the rehab, they was like, "But you belong here. You was just smoking weed. We doing heroin, all this other other stuff." It was like Tim Wilson. That's cool, but really they need to hear their stories. Mine was just marijuana, and um, I had to go there for like four or five months. I had to go there four or five months, and that's what led into the bone crusher fight when I took the dive. All this. Okay, but before that, let's discuss your first defense of the title, of course, which came against Britain's very own future WBC heavyweight world champion, Frank Bruno. You'd have to travel to Wembley on this occasion and box Frank in front of 40,000 fans. Tell me about that experience in the fight itself. 65, wow. My apologies. 65, that's what they said. No, no, no. Tim, no, go, okay, finish the sentence, then I'm going to say something. Go ahead, finish. I was going to finish the sentence by saying we're, we're still... We're still upset about you knocking out our, our man, Frank Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we're really good friends now. But um, uh, we 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 found that it was estimated it was underreported. It was like 65,000 people um, in the stadium. Um, they, under, they underreported that from my herd. I don't know why. I think, I mean, I don't know if it's taxes. I don't know what they, this is what they were saying that uh, when we went to some type of discovery even in court or something like that, uh, this is what was stated. But um, that fight was, that fight was, um, the fight, to me that fight was better than fighting Larry Holmes and then other guys because I went into another country, somebody else's backyard, defended my title, and came out victorious. And um, I did it really good. I did it really good, and, and I was proud. My, the people in my neighborhood, everybody that supported me, Everybody was happy for me. So before the fight, um, they, you know, when they offered me to fight with Frank Bruno, um, I was happy about it. Now I could defend my title um, in another country or somebody else's backyard, and and um, that motivated me, you know, and that motivated me. I know they said Frank Bruno was big and strong and muscular, um, and you know, so we got ready. We got ready. Chopped wood. We sparred. We ran our miles, um, and you know. The results uh, paid off, you know. I mean, well, I'm saying the result in the results, you can see that everything uh, worked for me. Yeah, and then obviously after that, you know, we get to the the I guess the crazy fight. Um, obviously, you 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 and Frank both had a common opponent, which was James Bonecrusher Smith. You you'd beaten yeah, him previously. Yeah. 
uh, Bruno lost yeah, to him when him. he got when he got stopped, and then obviously you have the yeah. rematch with Bone Crusher right after that, that yeah. Bruno fight. Um, you you said to me that obviously there was a dive involved, but I've got to say I've watched it back twice in in one week, and the dive was very convincing because it it looked it looked like he came out firing it. You know, it looked like he had a great round. Tell me. Yeah, he did. I mean, I was. It, it, hey, he was trying his best. He was trying his best. Um, I was just waiting, waiting for the right moment to make it look good. Um, and uh, you know, at times I had to make it look good because I knew that we had lawyers and everything waiting uh, to sue Don King and everything. And um, but they didn't know. It was. It was. Who knew was who knew was people in, in my corner. Now, now. I was supposed to give Tony Tubbs a rematch, right? And then, well, Don King didn't care about nobody. He cared about Tyson then. He didn't care about me. He didn't care about Bruno. He didn't care about Tony Tubbs, Bonecrusher Smith. He cared about Tyson. And we all knew that because when he, we had that meeting and he brought us there, we sensed he was trying to get Tyson on his team. So so um, uh, when, when I was supposed to give Tubbs a rematch, um, and I was, I didn't really train. I trained, but I was training. I was miserable. You know, after, after the tug fight, I didn't have no money. The, 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 uh, IRS came in and took the money. I had to borrow 10,000 from Don King, you know? So that was after the Tony Tubbs fight. We were only fighting for 50,000. You know, I'm, I'm getting 50,000 after the fight, but they came into, I had no money after the fight. So I asked them for money. He gave me like eight thousand, okay, and that, that that was it. So um, a- after after the uh, the Tubbs fight, um, well, I'm saying before the Tubbs fight, um, it was like uh, well, like January before the fight. It was January the 16th or something. Well, before that fight was my birthday on December the 27th. I was in no case shape, you know, the fight and everything. And then they Tony Cup Tony Tubbs. Uh, said he wasn't going to fight because he hurt his shoulder. And so I said, well, I'm only fighting Tony Tubbs. But I had smoked marijuana in a party they had for me like a dummy. I wasn't realizing, I didn't realize I was going to get tested. So we were in a party for me in December, like the 27th or 8th. I think it was on my day, on my birthday. And everybody was like in the room. We was in a hotel room. We were just having a little fun and then all of a sudden, I walked outside in the balcony, and they were smoking. It was a balcony, or it was a lower deck, where it's like on the ground. Well, anyway, I walked out there and I smelled it. And so they, they was over there smoking. So I walked over there, and I started smoking marijuana with these guys. I didn't realize I was fighting, but with the fight was wasn't really going to be on or off. When I'm talking about the tubs, the tubs fight. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I took some. I took some puffs then. Then, then um, Tubbs pulled. Tubbs didn't fight. He hurt his shoulder, and then I said, "Wow!" And then, then I thought we was gonna wait to fight Tubbs. No, they snuck Bone Crusher in. So I was like, "Yo, man, he's tough. He's he's strong." I said, "I didn't prepare for Bone Crusher. Um, I, I prepared for Tubbs and give him his rematch." So they started putting pressure on me just to fight him and stuff like that. Not only did I do that, I, I didn't. I didn't. You know, I wasn't training. Because I thought it was he was gonna um they was gonna push the fight back. So um 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 we flew we was down in Florida. So we flew into where, where the fight was is in New York. The fight was in New York. So we flew in New York. Um 
um, all we flew into New York, and then um, um, there was like the watch out on me. Everybody was watching me and making sure that I made it to the fight, make make sure that I came to the fight site. So I did come to the fight site, and they was interrogating me because I wasn't going to fight. I wasn't going to fight. So I was at the fight site in in New York, and um, so I had people people came from Philly like protecting me because uh. Because they sensed that uh, Don King, they was forcing me to fight and everything, and all different people was, was antagonizing, like, you know, were putting pressure on me. So I was in my room. They was antagonizing all the group, the people that was in my group, because they wanted the fight to go on, you know. So they said, Bone Crusher, and I was like, no, I'm not fighting Bone Crusher. Uh, I'm fighting Tony Tubbs. That's what I'm obligated to do, because, uh, you know, I tested positive for marijuana. I had to give them a rematch. They took 25000 from me. And, and and so we kept playing um, a game with them um, back and forth and up until the near the fight, the week of the fight. Like I was hiding from them. Then the commissioner came in and threatened me. Um, um, the the president of the WBC came in. And, you know, this this name, I don't want to go into it, but uh, members from the WBC came in and threatened me. Um, the doctor of uh, the doctor in, in um, New York. That was at the fight. He threatened me. Everybody associated with Don King came in and tried to force me to fight. I was in the room and had people answering the door. It was really messed up. So, so um, I, I I I went and inquired for a lawyer. I got a lawyer. I think it was Mark Risman who was helping me. Mark Risman was his name, and he was trying to figure out how we're going to do this thing because I I wasn't going to fight uh, Bone Crusher because I wasn't training. Um, and after the fight, because Tubbs was the was the mandatory, so I wasn't going to fight Bone Crusher. And then, at the, like about a couple of days before the fight, the, cause the lawyer was doing research and going around talking to people, and he said, "Tim, I think it'll be in your best interest if you take the fight." I said, "I'm not in shape." I said, "I'm not in shape, and um, and, and I'm not supposed to fight him." He said, "Well." He said, "I think you better take the fight." I don't think I think they might have convinced him to convince me. So I said I got my group together. My not my, um, like my trainer, my real trainer wasn't with us. Uh, Slim, he left Don King because he wasn't getting paid properly. The guy that taught me everything, he couldn't take it no longer. So the, my main trainer left me, and I was in all by myself. I was all by myself um, training, fighting for these fights. But I did have other trainers. I had other trainers. Whitlarry, Aaron Snowell was with me. He was with me, but he wasn't my teacher. Aaron Snow, I was with me from the beginning, but he was my teacher. He was in my corner. He was my second. So, um, you know, I was just tired of it. I said, man, I want to get away from Don King and all this mess, all this mess and everything. So um, we got together, and I said, look, man, I'm I'm taking a dive cause, because, because we was going to sue him. I said, if I fight Bone Crusher and go, go um, you know, go, if I go 10 rounds with somebody, I beat him the last time. I beat him the last time every round. So I said, I'm not going, uh, what is it, 15 or 12? I don't know, 15 or 12. I said, nah, I'm not doing this. I'm getting away from Don's. So I told I told my lawyer to make sure that it was a three-knockdown rule. And uh, and if you look at the fight, I made it I made it look really good. And um, I crawled on the floor, act like I was hurt. But he never hurt me. The best thing that happened to me in that fight, he knocked out a teeth that I was going to go to the dentist to get pulled out. 
Yeah, and and they told me that some the medicine might cause me to be sluggish if they shoot medicine and you know like the numbing. They said it could have a negative reaction for as far as your training, and not only that, I just I just I just you know I I just wanted to go to the dentist anyway. But they were saying, why don't you go get it pulled out? And I was like, I was thinking about it. Then I said, no, nah, I don't want nothing to um, uh, uh, hinder anything. So. This was before we went to New York. My teeth was loose. It was a big teeth. Um, so uh, let me try to get back on the right track. Okay, so we we are in the room. I had people at the door answering the door. It was they was taking me through hell. So um, I just I, hey he came. The lawyer came back. I said, know what I said? I said make sure the money the money was right. Make sure the money was right. And Don King didn't care about me. He would have gave me a million dollars. All he wanted was the belt. And I realized that afterwards. So when 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 they was negotiating the money and everything, I was getting less money than what than what I was supposed to get. I don't even remember. I think I was supposed to get what two hundred thousand, or maybe one hundred and fifty. I wound it up with three, I think, or four. I could have got a million because I found out all they wanted was Tyson. So if I would have said six, seven hundred thousand, they would have gave it to me. They just wanted me out the way. So I found that out afterwards. So okay, so everything leading up to the fight, um, I, I know that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to uh, go go any kind of rounds with this guy. So I made it look good. Uh, I feel bad for Bone Crusher because he felt as though that um, he won the fight fair and square. And I, I told him, man, I'm sorry, I apologize, but this is what we had to do. But he still believed that he knocked me out. Man, I never wasn't even hit hard in that fight. I had to make it look good, too. He knocked my teeth out. That was the best thing he did um, in that fight. He hit me in, the, in somewhere, but the teeth, was, was I spit it on the um Matter of fact, after the interview, you see me lean up the rope. I spit something out my mouth. You can see it come out my mouth, the teeth. And so after that fight, I was one of the happiest persons in the world because I knew I was going to sue Don King, fight against him, and I was going to get away from him. And and I was really happy after that fight. So um, I just feel bad that Bone Crusher has to live his life, um, 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 you know, the way he think he did, but he didn't. And I, you know, that's that's the thing. So we really, we really um, went against Don King on that one. But Tim, you you wanted to get away from Don King so badly that you decided yeah. to give away the belt pretty much in the first round. Yeah. Did it did it work yeah. out in the end? You say you were going to sue him. Did you sue him for a large enough amount where you think it was the right yeah. move? Because it sounds a bit crazy, I have to say. Yeah. Well, well, it was crazy. Oh man, the stuff that was going on and 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 you know between boxers. Come on now, heavyweight champion of the world, uh, and you go home with no money. And I told you before that um, we were talking to lawyers before we went into training. Well, well, you know, I, Don King heard that we, I was seeing a lawyer and people were helping me, so he sent me down down to Florida. Little did he know, the lawyer was right about five miles from where he sent me. <laughs> yeah, I forgot his name, uh, Richard Emery or something like that. Richard Emery, he was down in Florida. So we was up going to New York. We was up in New York at one, one, I guess one of the law firms that's affiliated with him. He sent me right where the guy was. So instead of letting me train in like Philadelphia or whatever, 
He sent me. He knew about it. He knew that we was fighting him. He sent me to Florida, but he sent me 10 miles, like 5 to 10 miles from where the lawyer was. And we were meeting with the lawyer down in, down in Florida while I was training for the bone crusher fight. Yeah, I had several meetings with him. And, and then, uh, not several, maybe about, well, several was just more than one. But we had about, I would say, three meetings. We sat down, we talked and everything. And then we flew back to the fight site up in New York at the Garden. So when we got to the fight site, we all knew. My corner knew. My corner knew. My mom and my mom and everybody didn't know. I didn't want to tell them, but everybody in my corner knew what I was going to do. So it was me, James Thornwell, Aaron. I think Aaron Aaron Starin was with me. Me, James, Aaron Snowwell, and I think Greg Robinson, who was my trainer's nephew, who was pretty good. So all of us was in the corner, but they knew what we was going to do. So. Um, you know, and a couple of people was crying. They didn't know, and I told them afterwards. I said, "Yo, we 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 you know." And then right after that, we did everything. We started we started all the process. Um, I just then when I felt really good after that fight that I don't have to deal with Don King anymore. Even though even even you know we know I know he still controls a lot of things, but I wasn't I was away from him. My brother Anthony left earlier. My brother Anthony was like. Uh, 10-0 with 10 knockouts. He never wanted to go with Don King, um, you know. And we was with a we was with a Jewish guy named Mark Stewart who was taking care of us. He was taking care of us. We had a car. We had a place to stay. And then he got him and his him and his group got caught selling drugs. We didn't even know it. If you look up Larry Levin, Larry Levin, they called him Doctor Snow. That's how come we wound it up with Don King. Okay. They it was a group of managers. They was together, and and um and and my man and my manager Mark Stewart was was in a family with them, and they got busted. That's how we wound up with Don King. My brother Anthony didn't want to go. I just had to go. I just went, and this is that's how we wound up the way we were. Because I had a guy that was treating us really good, like Tyson was being treated. Who else? Who else? All these boxers being treated good. Then we went to Don King. Everything was messed up. But I kept on fighting because I wanted to fight. And my brother Anthony just, he lost one of his fights, and, and he just went with somebody else. He just left. So that's really what, what happened back then. So, Tim, before we get back on track to the fights next, which I want to do. I know, do, I went everywhere. No, it's okay, no, it's okay, I it's okay. I want to okay, ask you okay. one question on, on that stuff. Yeah. Obviously, if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you, you tried yeah. to sue Don, I think, for 25 mil. And then it ended up getting settled for about one mil. If I'm, if I'm, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Does yeah. that is that is that in like when you look back on, back on it now? Do you feel like that one million was was worth giving up the belt for now and getting away from Don? Is that enough to get um, rid of the title? Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Well, anything was worth getting away from someone that you really wasn't gonna. Um, make out what you know, like you know, you real, you know, anything would have been been good. He was ripping me off, okay. you know. So, um, yeah. So, wait a minute. There was something important you said. Would say it again? What you said? I said that you sued him for twenty five mil. It got settled for one. Was that really okay, worth? Okay. Kind of giving the belt away for just one mil. That's all. Okay. The the bottom line. Um. Uh. What? Well. Well, well, suing them and everything was worth it. Suing them and letting everybody know what's going on was worth it. Um, you know, um, standing up to him was worth it. 
um, you know, I sacrificed. Uh, I I feel that I sacrificed for a lot of other people that exposed Don King, and then ultimately in the end, we we wound up saying we love each other. But I'm gonna tell you about that. But what happened with the lawsuit? Uh, my lawyers, some their lawyers, uh, uh, my lawyers told me that if I didn't take the, a settlement of a million two, right, it'd be 15 years, 10 years before we can get get you know get them back in court. Right, so they try to run that on me. They said, "Look, Tim, um, um, Don King has been indicted for other stuff, and if we don't take this deal now, this what happened. If we don't take this deal, um, we, we're gonna lose everything. And and not only that, it'll take another twenty years, like fifteen, twenty years, to get him. So I was like, I thought something was wrong with that. Yeah, that's what really happened near the end when we was getting to him. You know who broke the case?" The, this accountant's named Steve Ratner. Steve Ratner, uh, he, he had um, Miles Davis, the musician, Miles Davis. Okay. You heard of him, Miles Davis? Yeah, yeah. And he, Cicely Tyson, he did cases for them. He was the he was the accountant for our case. So he went in there and found a lot of different things that was unusual. Was It was, you know, and Don King's, um, uh, uh, you know, his money part, right? So we came to a meeting one time, and um, the accountant said, "Well, how did this five hundred thousand come out of this account and disappear into that one?" Don King ended the meeting right there and then. He he was saying Steve Radner said that, and he said a couple of other things about Don King's money and accounts. So Don King got nervous. He cut the meeting off short. As soon as Steve Radner uh, brought that to everybody's attention, he said, "Well, how did this money?" Come in this account, then go into Carl King's account, and then disappear. So I feel they made some type of deal, right? They made some type of deal, and um, I feel that that uh, I got sold out. He never got indicted. They said, Tim, if you don't take this deal, this would happen. They said, Tim, if you don't take this deal, right, it's going to be 20 years no, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> He's just going to be a long time before you get him in court, and he might go to jail. Yeah, he might go to jail for these other crimes. Yeah. So I got mad at them. I got mad at the lawyers, and I was like, man, something fishy. And I walked out I walked out the, um, the, the law office, and then I waited one week. I waited two weeks. Nobody called me. And three weeks, I said, something fishy. So I called them and said, look, I want to make the deal because I didn't know what was going on. I called them. I said, "Look, man, let me let's come in." So, so I made the deal. It was a million something, million two. I was mad. I didn't want to do it. I'd rather go all the way to the end and lose. But what the 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 things that they were saying to me, you know, uh, like I thought it was really bad. You know, now I'm getting sold out. So we settled it. Everybody saying, "Tim, you won." I didn't win. Don King won again. So the lawyers, whatever the lawyers did. You know, they left me hanging. They left me hanging. So I, we got a million, a million two, and then they cut some of that up. I think I went home with like about eight hundred thousand. And um, um, so Don King really won. He won. I didn't win, and I never felt that I won. Don mm-hmm. King won again. But but later, real quick, later on, um, after all that stuff, and years later, um, I went over to I went over to Vegas with this. This uh, Irish boxer. I was rep- I was in this 
not in this corner, but I was on his team, and we he was getting ripped off by Don. And so when we flew to Vegas, and he had to fight, he lost the fight. But after the fight, Don King came over to me and said, "I love you, Tim." And I hesitated for a minute. I said, "Uh oh," I was like shocked. And I said, "I love," I said, "Yeah, I love you, Don." I said, "I love you back." And then I felt something in me. I said, "Man, I feel like I'm relieved. I can go live." Be with my family. I don't have to talk about Don King anymore. I was fed up. I said, man, and none of the rich people, lawyers, and everybody talking about him on television, nobody helped but a, a, a boxer. I had, to, I had to go talk about it and everything and tell what's happening to me. None of the people with money in boxing, nobody helped. So I just left it alone. I just left it alone. If I was a, if I had a couple of hundred million, I, I would have tried to um, help the boxing industry out, you know. But, 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 but that's what happened. Nobody helped. I, had, we, I was, we was, I was on my own. None of those people helped, so I just left it alone. You know, all the rich people out there. Who, why can't they help, help fight against this guy or other people that's doing negative stuff to boxers? You got to have a, a boxer that's been underpaid and everything speak up. With nobody backing him, but his own, you know, team. So, so that's how that ended up. Um, right now, I have no problem with Don King. I'm gonna leave it alone. Nobody helped us. So, and now right now, I'm just enjoying my family with my kids. You see me? I was out there in the um, playground, uh, playing with my three grandkids, making sure my daughter that's from there eat. You know, so I, I'm satisfied with that. But that's what happened. He still won. Yeah. Nice. Uh, there's a, I've had a few Don King stories over over my time yeah. doing interviews, especially from the likes of yeah. like Layman Brewster and Chris Bird. They got some uh, some stories about Don as well. Wow. But anyway, <laughs> getting back onto the journey. Um, Ser- serious stories, huh? Well, yeah, yeah, little little bits, you know, little little bits. Okay. But obviously, um, I, 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 I remember that I had more more yeah, serious yeah, serious yeah, no, information yeah. yours, to give up. Yours, I think, is more serious, but. Yeah, like I've yeah. heard how he would he would you know gift people cars and uh, take it out their their paycheck and uh, you know never accept a gift from Don King is is the advice I've been told. So <laughs> yeah, 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 because he charged it up. Because what he did real quick, I'm not going to take too long on it, but what he did too was when I fought Bruno, and you probably already know this, he deducted um, everybody expenses. He flew about ten judges, uh, ten ten jurors over to the fight and took it out of my money. Yeah. If you do research, he everything that was over there uh had expenses, the majority of that came out of my money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's Don so King. I'm okay now though. <laughs> yeah, no. Get, getting back on over, it's over. <laughs> getting back onto the journey your next 12 fights after that Smith fight uh, which spanned from yeah. August 87 to March 1992 were all kind of at a level or, or two below the top level uh, you boxed from literally from Atlantic City to, to York Hall in Bethnal yeah. Green London to, to Las Vegas to yeah. Indonesia to, to Seattle to the famous yeah. Blue Horizon in Philadelphia um, but yeah 12 yeah. fights 12 wins including 7 by KO 4 by split or okay. Majority decision. That's when we get to Michigan, Tuesday, July twenty first, nineteen ninety two. A shock split decision loss over ten to Everett Martin. What happened there, Tim? This is what happened with that one. I really didn't. I really didn't think that that you know he had the materials to beat me. 
So I, I, you know, I trained, I trained and everything, but, uh, you know, I learned my lesson with that and a couple other fights. Um, in the in right shape, in right shape, it was a close fight, but in right in the right shape and everything, I, I think I would have stopped him. But he was he was determined to win. I guess you know fighting against a a, a top guy and all that. And after that fight, after that fight, um, you could, you know, I could see it. I could see that this was his dream to try to beat somebody uh, that was up there and all that. Um, but I do believe that if I was in a proper shape, um, I could have, I could have either stopped him or, you know, unanimously won the fight. So I underestimated him. They told Don King was, and them was telling me, oh, well, you know, we don't get opponents and this and that. Bigfoot. He was just a re- an average guy, and then when I got in the ring, he fought me like he was trying to win the title, um, you know. Uh, and it could have been the case where Don King uh, just wanted me out of his way, you know. So he won the fight, Bigfoot. I remember that Bigfoot Martin. Yep. Yeah, he stayed he in boxed, my chest. He boxed everyone. I mean, he boxed so many guys, man. Do you want me to tell you some of the guys he boxed real quick? Yeah. He bu- yeah. he beat he beat Burt Cooper, but he lost to Dwight Muhammad Kawi, lost to George Foreman, lost to Gary Mason, lost to um, Francesco Damiani, James Bonecrusher Smith, Michael Mora, Riddick yeah. Bowe, Tony Tucker, Larry Holmes, Herbie Hyde, Tony Tubbs. He bo- he boxed all these guys. Vladimir Klitschko twice. Wow. Layman Brewster, uh, Joe Hip. Yes, yeah, everyone. <laughs> wow. Did they all did they all beat him? Yeah, they all beat him. They all beat him. That's why it was a shock loss. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I feel as though also, I think with that fight, I really can't remember right now uh, whether Don King, I wasn't with Don King, I don't think then. I don't think I was with Don then. I think I was with Dennis Rappaport maybe. Because I went from Dennis Rappaport to, I was I was with, uh, I was with, uh, I forgot, Banner Promotion. I was with Banner Promotion. Uh, short, a uh, short. It was really, it wasn't that long. Band of promotion, and I think my, the fight might have been with them, right? You know, and I, I just, I just was just getting ready for these fights, just trying to pay the bills. I didn't think that I was gonna get another championship fight. Yeah, but now after that fight, you box. Um, just one month later, you beat Tony Willis over ten. Uh, then you take two years out the ring from August nineteen ninety two to August nineteen ninety four. What kept you out the ring for two years, Tim? Wow, you have to tell me because <laughs> you have to tell me. Uh, so that was my. La- Who was the first fight when I came back? The first fight when you came back was. Um, oh gosh, you've caught me off guard. It was. I know, I'm getting caught up. Sherman Griffin. <laughs> Sherman Griffin. Sherman Griffin. Did I, I knock him out? Or third was it round, distance? yeah. Third round knockout. Sherman Griffin. I think I was with um, I was with um, Dennis Rappaport then. Okay. And he treated me, listen, Dennis Rappaport treated me so good. I just said, you know, I was abused with Don King and Everstar. I was a bruised boxer. Um, I didn't feel like things was working for me. And when I got with Dennis Rappaport, um, he treated me good. He, you know, I was a bruise. He treated me good. Um, if I needed money, he, he, you know, he he gave it to me. If if after one of the fights I won, there was a forty thousand dollar bonus. I told him to give the money to my, my my kid's mother, like buy her a car. And and we made good money together. And he always sent me to camp. 
I was in camp. He had the security there. He had the sparring partners there. You know, he really cared about, he really cared. Um, Dennis Rappaport, he the one that was with Jerry Cooney. Okay. Dennis Rappaport with Rappaport and Jones. And I neglected that good relationship. And I still sometimes, like, text him on Facebook and everything, and I realize how how, how um, I messed up because I had a guy that really cared. And I was just hung up over the Don King stuff. I didn't trust a lot of people. And here it is, a manager, promoter, treating me 100%. He was anything. If I needed it, he would give it to me. But I just ain't trained properly. I trained, and I think it came because of all that, that negative stuff that was going on. I didn't even realize that Dennis, Dennis was looking out for me big time. And I apologized to him about two years ago. I apologized. I called him up, and I talked to him. And I was like, look, man, you know, I look back and I seen all the good things that you were doing. And I just was, I didn't tell him that I think it was from the abuse of Don King and all that. But I'm looking back and I just ain't trust nobody. But he, if I, my head was on right, I would have won the title again. If my head was on right, he was helping us. We didn't need nothing. No spark. Farm partners was there. If I needed a rent a car, if I needed to stay in the hotel, if I needed to fly to California to get sparring, if I had to go wherever, he would pay for it. And I neglected that. That's one thing I do regret in my in my boxing career. Um, that 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 I know there was a promoter that was really looking after me, and and I just I neglected it. I did do good. If you look at the records, I did do I did pretty pretty good, but then on some of the fights I, I didn't like Andrew Galata. I think Andrew Galata was I think he was a promoter for that fight. Well anyway, Rappaport really looked after me and and it was a little too late for me. If I would have met him in the beginning, like Mark Stewart, like if Mark like the guy like Mark Stewart, he was the same type of guy, but they got in trouble. But Dennis don't play that stuff. Drugs and all that, he don't he don't play. He was straight up and down. You know, and if I would have met him, I definitely he would have put my money away. He would have helped me put my money away. He would have helped me make money. This is the kind of guy Dennis was, and I'm only realizing it after it's over. It's too late. Yeah, no, nah, but you know, late. as we say, you, you came back from two years out of the ring. You put together seven uh, seven fight win streak. Um, of that seven fight win streak as well, the two best wins were uh, both at the Madison Square Garden, a shutout win over 10 against former IBF Cruiserweight World Champion Alfred Cole and a fifth-round KO win against Jorge Luis Gonzalez. Uh, this brings us to December 1996. You step in against former WBO Heavyweight World Champion Ray Mercer, a unanimous yeah. decision loss over 10. Tell us about that. Ray was a tough guy. Yeah, he was. His jab, his jab was harder than the right hand. His jab, yeah, his jab was hard. You know, um, you know, I trained for him. Reason why I trained for him because I knew that he was a Marine. I knew that he was on an Olympic team, and I knew that he would get up for a fight like with me. I knew that he was, and he was in shape. He did look a little heavy, but he was in he was in shape, and he and his jab was like a hard right hand. And he was, he, you know, he after the fight, he said, "You won the fight, Tim." But one at one point he did say, "Hey, they done it to me twice. He lost to Lennox Lewis. He got robbed by Lennox Lewis and somebody else." And then he said, "Hey, they done it to me. It's my turn." 
But then later on, you know, we were friends then. He, he, he Afterwards, he said, yo, you won that. He told me, he said, I think you won the fight. When I look at the fight, I said, yeah, I could have won it, but I think you des- you could have deserved it too. I say that to him. This is what we say back. He says he think I won, and I'm saying I think he deserved it. Um, and so we just had a signing together about three weeks ago. Uh, it's just me and him, um, and we had a little small signing together. We really good friends now. Really, good. we was friends then. We yeah, we friends. We was friends then after the fight, but we were trying to kill each other during that fight. It was some heavy banging. <laughs> it was some heavy banging. But but um, I I felt that I did win. He felt that he won. Uh, it was a close fight. I'm just satisfied with my performance um, during that time in my career. And, um, you know, I just had to move on, that's all. And then, of course, after that, you're out the ring for 11 months. You come back and, and win a first-round KO against uh, against one opponent. Then you go on that, that five-fight losing streak, obviously. Larry Donald, Jimmy Thunder, Andrew Galotta, Brian okay. Nielsen, and former foe. Okay. Greg Page, you're gonna stop me. Go on. <laughs> oh, oh no. Well, uh, uh, okay. So yeah, like those fights, those fights. Um, Shall I finish what I was gonna say? Because what I was gonna just say to him is, is it fair to yeah. say at this point your your better days are behind you at this stage of your career? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. I was just trying to pay bills. I was just trying to, with the Galata fight. The promoter just came to my house. He came in, a limo pulled up. I don't know how he got my address. <laughs> he pulled up to my house and jumped out. He was really nice. Um, and he, 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 he quoted a figure, a number. I, I don't know how much it was. A couple hundred thousand, I think. Or 150. I don't know what it was. I forgot. And then he said, would you take the fight? I got out my bed. And then a couple of days later, I'm in Poland training. <laughs> you know? And, and um and uh, the Brian Nielsen, the same, the same thing with the, with the Brian Nielsen one. Huh, oh, oh, ah. The Brian Nielsen one, well, I might as well just say it because um, they, the, the people, the people don't believe that I got stopped by Brian Nielsen. You know, um, I, I might as well just say it. But I went over there and. Um, it was a, a plan laid out. There's a plan laid out, and I got paid for it. That's all. They came in. They got me out of my. They they uh they didn't get me out of my bed, but they flew me over there, and um that was just a vacation. So, what, what was it? The first round. Brian Nielsen round four. Okay. Oh, that's how many rounds it was supposed to last. Okay. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. How boxing is. No, you I know. That. And he seemed to be an easy. I, I told people, I told us newspapers before, but they knew it was the people. I was almost didn't get paid. The people in the audience was like, "Boo!" They was booing. Um, so his promoter just wanted to keep getting them wins. I, I got paid. I got paid for that fight, and I just put up a good fight. And the fourth round was supposed to be the ending of it, and that's how my career ended. It ended like that. I know I couldn't win the title again. Um, you know, it would have been too hard. Um, and then, then I started wanting to be a freedom fighter, fighting for boxing, people who's getting done wrong. I've been doing that ever since I was getting ripped off, though. That's what I do. I will speak up if I think something's wrong. And um, 
and are still up until today. But we do need uh, promoters. We do need managers. But we need them to operate properly instead of ripping people off. I think it's better now. I think it's a lot better now than when we were fighting. Yeah. I think. A hundred, a hundred million. A hundred million. <laughs> Come on, man. I got better skills. They look good and muscular like, like, like Joshua. He looked like muscles and stuff and, and all that, but the skills. Yeah. yeah. He's good. Cause he, 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 we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Get do you want to do you want to say a sentence or two on the Greg Page rematch? Okay, the rematch, the Greg Page. Right. So he won the decision. No, you retired on the on your store at the end of the seventh. Oh, okay, that's right. This what happened. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> hey, listen, man, I, I I didn't get hit with a whole lot of shots. You know, I I, I missed a lot of shots. But in the last couple of months, I've been kind of. I've been kind of like forgetting some things the last couple of months. This is why we need a lot of help when you retire. We need help to keep boxers talking, keep us visual out there speaking and stuff, you know. So with with the great the the, the Greg Page fight, um, the Greg Page fight, uh, if I can remember, that was just to get to get money. Oh, oh, no, my back, my back. It was my back. Okay. It was my back, and I was happy. I was happy that the fight was over. My back, my the right side and my back, lower back, was giving me trouble um, for about, I would say, for about about three years, and I would be tightening it up. So in my career, um, like like down the line, um, you know, I've been getting like back pains and stuff like that. So I had got a I had got a cramp, and my back was my back was hurting. So they stopped. I didn't want to come out the corner. That's what it was. Yeah, I didn't come out the corner. Greg was the happiest person in the world too. You could see it. Yeah, I used to spar with him all the time. But I just I, I got that money. I started getting money. I just started fighting and getting paid because it was near the end. I know I was going to retire. And if a fight came up, and a lot of boxers do this. A lot of boxers, when they're at the end, they do it just to get money. So I started doing. I had a good defense. I knew that I wouldn't get hurt. Um, really, I wouldn't get hurt and everything. But I was happy for Greg. He jumped up. I seen how happy he was uh, and everything. Um, my main concern is I did get paid, but I did have a little back problem in that fight. Could I have went on a couple of more rounds? I think so. But it was it was it was tightening up really bad. Now I remember. Yeah, the Greg Page fight. Yup. He jumped up like he jumped up and down like he won a championship fight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he he jumped up like like uh and he he passed away though. He passed away and uh, yeah. So things is crazy. I'm 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 still happy the way my life went. I wouldn't change it because you know, it's just even though the negative, the negative stuff happened, the people know that that I did try hard. I tried to be a good a boxer. I try to help the politics of boxing out. You know, I like that. I like that. Yeah, and I'm just going to whiz through the last uh, the last few fights of your career, just the results. They're much okay. smaller fights. They're, they're at the back end of your career. Um, yeah, after okay. the Greg Page fight, you knock out Joe Ballard in one round. Then you draw with Mike Cedillo over 12. Uh, then you knock out uh, David Smith in two. Then you knock out David Bostis in one. Uh, then you yeah, win yeah. the majority over 10 against... Um, Elisir Castillo then you knock out 
Dan Wofford in three. That's when you box on the Layla Ali Jackie Fraser undercard, uh, but but you lose a split um, decision I to lost, Monty Barrett. I lost. Yeah, yeah I lost to Monty yeah. Barry. Yeah, yeah. I, I really didn't. I, yeah, I really didn't. Um, I I seen a couple of fights of him, and I didn't really think he was a bother. And um, yeah, I didn't think he was a he was a bother. Um, I seen him fight like three fights, and I said. I don't see none, no, nothing really good in none of these three fights. Yeah, so, yeah. and then everybody was telling me, yeah, he don't really train this way and that way, but he trained for me. Ain't that something? <laughs> he trained for me. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, that was a decision. Yeah. He got a decision over me, split right? Split decision, yeah, split. Yeah, split. This, oh, was a split. Yep. Yeah, I, that, he could punch though. He could punch with that right hand. Um, he respected me, but he wanted. He wanted that fight more than I wanted. I just was trying to get paid again. Um, I just trained. When I seen the videos, I just said, man, I could beat him. Because he didn't do well against somebody that was really bad. And, you know, I just was saying, okay, we can get him. And um, and I probably could knock him out or something. But he was ready for me. He got in trained. He trained. He got in good shape. And um, God bless him. He beat Tim with a spoon. If it could help him. Uh, God bless him, you know. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, you had, um, I think it was about six fights after that. You came back, another four wins in a row, three by KO. Then uh, you lose the final two fights, a stoppage loss in five to Lou Savarisi in your final fight, a split decision loss over yeah, Lou Brian, Brian Nix. Uh, you retire in 2003, Tim, with, with an official record of 55 wins, 38 by KO, 13 losses and one yeah. draw. Um, I'm going to come at you now with a couple of kind of quick fire questions, just about okay. very short questions, uh, just before we okay. wrap things up. Um, okay. Don, Don King, describe him in one word. Ah, <laughs> uh, I think he's the best, the best, um, I think he's the best, uh, promoter in, in boxing. He's, he's the colorful, everything. He just didn't do the right things. I know you want me to, to say, let me see, what can I say about him in, in one word? He is the best, I think, promoter, um, the colorful, the way he presents himself, um, the way he really put those shows on. That is a showmanship, a good showmanship and a good, but when it can, in terms of treating the boxers, um, he didn't treat them good. So that's the only way I could describe. Don King would, would go down in history as the best promoter that ever lived. Like Muhammad Ali, he's the Muhammad Ali of, of of promoters. He just didn't treat the boxers right. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the Muhammad mm. Ali and Tyson of 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 the promoters. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's that's a that's a good summary of Don King. Yeah. Really. I want to ask you, Tim, who was the hardest puncher you ever got in the ring with? I always say my kid's mother. <laughs> I always say my kid's mother to see the person that asked me that question. Uh, see they, they, if they laugh and they do. Um, the hardest puncher, I had a good defense. And let me see. I got hit by Carter Truth. Carter Truth rocked me. Bone Crusher Smith rocked me a little bit. Uh, let me see. Who else? There was somebody else. Carter Truth and Bone Crusher. I really can't. Those two guys, those two guys. Ray Mercer? Um, okay. No, Ray didn't, I didn't get buzzed by him, but Carter True rocked me. If you watch the fight, 
He caught me with the right hand. He was running. He was running the whole fight. The whole fight, he wouldn't sit still. Then he caught me when I was relaxing, and, and like, I stumbled, but I came back. I won the fight. I won the fight um, because he was running all over the place. So, Bone Crusher hit me. Andrew Galata hit me, but slightly was hurt. Bruno had me hurt. Bruno had me hurt for, like, five seconds. Um, and, and But Carter Truth hit me the worst. He, I think Carter, it's Carter Truth, yeah. If you watch that video, you'll see. He caught me with the right hand. And which win of your career, Tim, was the most satisfying win? Uh, I was, I would say, I was, ooh, I liked it, the quick sellers fight. I knocked him out in the first round, but it had to be the Bruno fight. <laughs> it was just so, it was so beautiful. Um, just going, taking the, taking that title into somebody else's backyard. Everybody screaming at you. You know, and 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 wanting you to lose, and 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 all the odds are against you. And in that in that fight, my own American common commentators, American commentators, were talking negative about me. If you watch the fight, they were talking negative about me. The whole fight. Oh, he's fat. He's this and that. Because they probably thought Bruno was going to win, or just just dumb. You don't get the respect. If if I had. If I had a hundred million in the bank, I don't they I don't think they would be saying stuff like that, but they knew I was broke, they knew I was struggling, so they could say anything they want. But you could be you you could be a boxer that skills is really not that good and you're doing really good and got a lot of money. I think they'll respect you more because you got a nice big house. Um, you 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 know what I'm saying? You always you you have money. You've been treated right. But if you ain't, oh here he go again with this getting ripped off stuff. We don't want to hear that that type of thing. So, Larry Merchant, I think Sugar Ray talked it really honestly good about it. But Larry Merchant and the other guys were saying, oh he's fat, he's this and that. If you play, if you play the um, video all during the fight, you'll see them talking negative about me. And even when I won the fight. Larry Merchant still said something negative okay. about me. So, yeah, man, I couldn't believe it. So, so the Bruno fight to me is the is to me is the is my best. It was better than Larry Holmes. It was better than any of the fights because I I I I went over I went over there defending my title, and then I continued to go over there. It's like my second home. The UK is my second home. I got a grandson over there in Barnsley, Oliver Charles Lomax. And my daughter was born in London. I was frequently going over there. And that's what really what really um, uh, put the icing on the cake, that I continue on going over there. And when I was over there, I knocked Bruno out. We was in Basildon. We all was having fun. But before the fight, the English wanted to kill us. But then when the fight was over, we had a party in Basildon, England. Everybody, the, the, the English, we were hugging and kissing and singing songs together. And by the way... They knew more oldie but goodie songs than the Americans. <laughs> you know the oldies but goodie songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all singing them together. We was all singing them together. And then we I had to stop on some of the words, and the English girls kept on singing the words. I was like, <laughs> that's embarrassing because we from America, right? <laughs> so so that is really my big fight, the, the Bruno fight. That fight. To me, it's bigger than the Larry Holmes fight. It's bigger than them knockouts that I had because it, it, I continue on to 
to uh, learn and 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 have friends and had communicate with people from another country and and that really set it off because now I can go over there I know where to go I can go down south I can go up north I can go west you know all over and everybody know me and um like I said I got family over there so the Bruno fight allowed me to open up you know and 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 have a relationship with with people in England, whereas though you see a lot of other boxers that fought over there, they don't. But I, I have a special heart for for the UK. I do. Oh, that's fantastic to hear, man. Um, I want to ask you, Tim. Um, who do you feel was the best all-round fighter that you ever uh, boxed? You know, you know, I boxed Tony Tubbs really clever. He was really clever, and um, he knew his moves. He knew he was quick. He was smart. He just didn't punch real hard. He just didn't punch real hard. So, uh, I thought you were going to say Larry Holmes within like two seconds. <laughs> no, Larry Holmes. Listen, <laughs> no, Larry Holmes. We took his jab away. He didn't. He, I had fun in that fight. Larry Holmes. I, listen, listen. I'm not. Larry Holmes was okay. You say, no, say that question again, real quick. Say that question again. You asked me about the... Who was the best fighter you ever boxed? The best all-round fighter? Who could punch? Who could box? Who had good defense? Good jab. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Larry Holmes didn't have no defense. He just had a good jab. And he hit you with the right hand. That's all Larry Holmes had. Uh, Tubbs had everything. Um, peop, a lot of the boxers lacked a lot of things back then. You know, they lack, and up to date they do too. They really lack, lack a lot of things. Let me, I don't want to contradict myself. Um, let me see. Oh, God. Who was, who was a good, Ray, 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 Ray was strong. I really can't, all around, I can't really, uh, uh, say, uh, I'm not going to say Larry Holmes because okay. we, we took his jab away. He had plenty of heart. Larry didn't have all. Larry had. He won his fights with a jab and the right hand and his courage. Um, I, okay, I would say Larry Holmes, I guess. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And I want to ask you this as well, Tim. If you could get in a time okay. machine and go back in time, and you could avenge one of your losses, which loss would you most like to avenge? I like that question. Let me see. <laughs> Which one that I lost that I would I don't really I don't really want to uh, the Larry Holmes one because I felt I won in my heart. I, there's no doubt in my body. So there were some fights uh, like like the Lou Savarese. I didn't even get hurt and they stopped the fight and I was like, okay, I was like cool because I didn't ha I wasn't going to get the title or nothing again. They wasn't going to get a, give me a title shot. So when the referee stopped and he talked to me after the Lou Sabri's fight, he said, man, did I stop it too soon? I said, no, I was all right. You know, I told the referee, thought he stopped it too soon. I wasn't hurt at all. I wasn't hurt. I just was thinking about the money. And that was wrong then. But oh, you're, talking about a, you're talking about an old man. I'm an old man now trying to think of the stuff that <laughs> – that, uh, so what fight? What fight? What could I get back? Well, I tell you what. 
let's put it this way. See the bone crusher second fight? Yeah. If the circumstances was if the circumstances was where whereas though um I know that Don King wasn't doing the stuff that he was doing, I would like to do that fight again and re- and knock him out knock him out or beat him every round, uh, like I did before. Um, okay, the Bone Crusher second fight. I really do feel bad for him because he thought he won the fight clear and clean, and really he didn't. He yeah. didn't do it. So I would like to give him a second chance, get in shape, but he can't now. He's in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. You've no, seen him in a wheelchair before, right? Yeah, sad stuff. Sad yeah, stuff. so I would say I would say Bone Crusher. I would say give him a give give him a. a if any if anybody I want to get revenge on, right? That's what you was asking me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could avenge one of those it, losses, go back and turn it into a win. I, 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 I would do the Bone Crusher one. Yeah, I think that's the best answer, actually. Um, yeah, because he was easy, too. He was easy the first time. All I had to do was be in shape. I was quicker than him. Um, I, had, I was better skilled. He just was big and strong. He had big hands. Yeah, yeah. And um, I want to ask you this as well, Tim. Was there anyone that you wished you could have fought but didn't end up getting the chance to, you know, make the fight happen? I know in the next couple of days I'll probably say, man, I should have told him this guy. It could have been anyone. It could have been like a Lennox Lewis, like a Mike Tyson, any anyone from that era, Vander Holyfield, I don't know. I really didn't, in my mind, I really didn't, and really, right now, in my mind, I don't have no thoughts of any of those because uh, they did come up. They did come up a little bit after me. Yeah, I know that too. if I was if I was doing the error and I was in good shape, I know that I could beat every any any one of them on a good day, in shape. I didn't lift weights. I didn't do all the stuff that they did. If I was in shape, like Evander Holyfield and Tyson, I would be the new Muhammad Ali. But I. I would be the new biggest guy out there, you know, in shape and got skills. Oh man. So those are some of the things that I look back and see only if I was in top shape, none of those guys would be able to hit me because I had really good defense. And that's what helped me really when I got into the ring with, with most of my opponents is that I knew that if, if, if I, if, if I, if, 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 if the only way they hit me, if I let them, and if I made a little mistake, I get hit. But the majority of the time, um, I wouldn't let none of those guys hit me, you know. But if they got through, it was it, it was something that they did. They got them through. But I had a good defense and I blocked a lot of punches. But I wish. But and there's some stuff that 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 was they written about Tyson, um, that Tyson management. Tyson would have fought me, but they kept me away from Tyson. They kept me away from Lennox Lewis. They kept me away from them. This is what I found out. It was it's documented that Tyson's management didn't want nothing to do with me, not knowing that I really wasn't even in shape. And Lennox Lewis, uh, uh, Emmanuel Stewart, quoted to people that they didn't want, they didn't want to fight me at that time. And this is the fact. These these are facts. Tyson, Lennox Lewis. And 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 Evander Holyfield, they said he was sick. At one time, the HBO had me and him to fight, and he couldn't fight because they said something was wrong with his heart. Then, so they didn't take the fight. So three top guys 
their management, not the boxers refused, but the managements refused to fight Tim Witherspoon. And that's a fact. I found out later. Okay. Interesting, man. That's a, Tyson, that's a... Tyson is, the Tyson one is documented that, that, um, what's his manager name? His promoter, um, Customato. Well, Customato and all, they didn't want nothing to do with me. They didn't want nothing to do with me at that time. And it was documented in one of these documentaries, too. Yep. And Lennox Lewis, Lennox, uh, Amanda Stewart told them, he said, nah, we're not going to, we'll stay away from him. This is what I heard. And Evander Holyfield. But I knew all three of the boxers would have fought me. I knew that. It wasn't their call. It was their management. Well, that there you go. That 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 uh, question took a took a strange turn, but that's uh, that's interesting stuff there, Tim. Um, I want to yeah. ask you these last couple of questions now. Um, okay. I'm gonna put you. You know, on the... you always you can call me though. You know, you always can call me and um, get whatever information you can. Okay. Same, Even hey Tim. The finish. same, the same to you. Okay. Um, I want to ask you this. Um. I'm putting you on the spot a tiny bit here. If I ask you who's your favorite UK fighter, Tim, who springs to mind? A guy from the UK, any era, who springs to mind? My favorite UK boxer. Oh, wow. My favorite UK boxer. I know I'm going to say something. I like Junior Witter. I like, you mean fire skills and stuff? I wasn't expecting you to just, say that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything, whatever, your personal favorite. You make the rules, my friend. I mean, personally, I like Bruno. You yeah. mean for our skills or just as a person? You can give me two if you like, person and skills, whatever <laughs> you want. <laughs> oh, God. So so Lennox Lewis is involved in this too? Yeah, is he yeah, from yeah, UK? yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I know I'm going to say something, then later on I think I should have took somebody else. Um, so who who is the, the who I think is a good boxer from the UK, right? Who's your personal right? favorite? Oh, I never was asked that question before. Sorry, Tim, that's I what I do I'm best. A... <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. My favorite UK player. I used to. Oh man, I trained Clinton Woods, but he. My favorite UK. Hmm. I'm, we lost on this one. That's no, okay. Those names I, that you mentioned anyway are, you know, good fighters. Obviously, Junior Witter, Frank Bruno, and uh, yeah, I like Frank. Lennox Lewis. Yeah. You know, you, you, but you know, I like Dylan White. I like Dylan White. I like him. See, this is personal stuff. Not talking about skills or anything. Yeah. I, I like, I talked to him. He seemed to be, be a really smooth guy. Um, Frank Bruno. I, I, you know, and and even Lennox Lewis, but Frank Bruno really is a really, really nice guy, man. He really nice guy. Called me up after the fight, congratulate me, and I just didn't know how to take it. I was choking. I was like, oh man, thank you, Frank. And we became friends. We became friends. I'll just put Frank in there because because Frank was really Frank was really cool. Frank was really cool. He was a warrior. He had his he had his people behind him. He just didn't come out on top and um. Uh, you know, all the best to Frank. He's a really good guy and deserve everything he gets. Ah, beautiful words, man. I'll pick. Uh, hey, I'll pick Frank. Yeah, no, that, that's fair enough. Um, and Tim, what are you up to now? Obviously, you've you've been retired now, eighteen years. What what do you get up to now, day to day? What keeps you busy? I'm knowing that I got a 
I got kids that are they grown, but are still concerned about them. Um, my little, my one, one of my little daughters, I got to make sure that uh, take care of her. She's only ten years old. She's from the UK. Uh, she's born in Tottenham. She's born in Edmonton, but she she lives in Tottenham. And um, I got to make sure that's what keep me driving. My family, um, not trying to chase Don King. Um, got my grandson Tim Witherspoon the third. Um, he's a boxer. He's he's from his his mom is from um, Cambodia, and and his father, my son Tim Jr. He used to box too. Um, um, you know, so he's trying to fight, and it'd be the first time in boxing history that three generations would be in a ring if everything go right. He he, I think he's going to be at least six foot three. He's like he's pretty tall now. Yeah, so. So what's keeping me moving is knowing that my, I've got my grandkids here. I know that the boxing industry, I did enough for them to pay attention to me. People in boxing call me to do this and do that. So you interviewed me. Um, I'm kind of rusty because we don't have nothing for us when our career is over. When our career is over, we don't have nothing to help keep us motivated, keep us moving. This fights, I always try to keep pay attention to the fights. I'm always trying to find a way to get into the, not the mainstream, just be available for boxers to help try to get in. You know, I try to help. I try to get involved with Anthony Joshua. I try to get involved with uh, with Wilder, but not so much uh, um, Tyson Fury. But Joshua, to me, Joshua to me need need uh, he, anybody can win that fight. Uh, uh, um, Tyson Fury or um, or uh, Joshua, yeah, yeah, any any one of them can win, because all it takes is one punch. But skills will give you a more better percentage chance of winning. If somebody showed you just a little bit more, you have a better chance of of, of winning. So I really I'm trying to build, I was trying to uh, put together my several boxers so so we could train my grandson. Like I told you, we're trying to build this situation up because. It will be the first time in history. We, we all got the same name. I'm Tim Witherspoon Sr., Tim Witherspoon Jr., then Tim Witherspoon, Tim Witherspoon III. So, okay. so we're trying to get him moving. He's an amateur now, and 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 um, he, he got he has good defense. He's he's has good jab. He's a really nice kid. Um, and we we're going to try to push him. But I'm trying to start start uh, like a team anyway. I'm doing that. I'm I'm trying to uh, just make ends meet. I'm trying to make ends meet. Um, that's all. I'm trying to get in the main. I'm trying to get in the boxing, but they don't want to do. They don't want to. You know, they can't. They be former boxers. It's hard to get a job to get back into the industry. And this is why we need a union. And it's really bad in England, but in America, for in, in like in England, um, in England, the percentages and stuff. They have to work on that. Um, a manager can be a promoter, which is a conflict of interest. Um, in America, you can't do that. So I've been working with this guy, Paul Johnson, and a couple other people. We're trying to get all the boxers together so we, um, when we retire, we, we will have money in our pockets, and we have invested some of our money, and we got to keep the bad guys out of the business. There are good promoters and managers. There's, good, they, there's some good managers and promoters. I'm not against them. I'm just against um, them doing the wrong things to the boxers. You know, and it seems like it's getting better, a little bit better now because when we was fighting Don King and other guys and other promoters and, you know, promoters and managers that was doing wrong, we were doing a really good job. 
They try to blackball us here, blackball us there. But now there's a new set of promoters and managers, and I think they're doing a really good job. I think we just have to um, get all the boxers together, former boxers together. We're the only sport that don't have support when the career is over. Football, baseball, I'm talking about soccer. Every sport has it but us. So that's what I'm concentrating a lot of my time on when my when my career is over. That's what I'm doing now. I've been keeping in touch with boxers. We we trying to try to get go to we trying to go to uh, the Congress. We trying to go to Congress and um, and um, try to figure something out. So we so look, a uh, Melzick Taylor, a couple other boxers, not Melzick Taylor, but yeah. No, there's a couple of the boxers. They passed away. Bert Cooper was one of them. It took them three weeks to bury them. They had no money. They broke. Yeah, so this is really important. This is what you might hear in the future. We're trying to um, do that now. We're trying to get get um, Congress and other people to look at us, too. It's all this stuff is going on. So um, that's what I've been doing. I've been occupied with talking to boxers seeing if they need this, calling the WBC, seeing if they can send money. The WBC helped me, helped me. They gave, they, they gave me 10 grand. They're helping other boxers. This is what our sport, sport needs, is support afterwards. Everybody's taking money above all that, but when you get, if you don't have no money, when your career is over, you're in trouble. Yeah. You're in trouble, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. We need structure. We need structure. There is structure. They're making all the millions and all that. If we can get some of them guys, if I had, if I made a hundred million for a fight, I would take five million. I swear, that would make me big. If I started a union or started some kind of support for boxers, what is what what is um 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 Mayweather and what are those guys doing? They can get that money back if they put up five million. Just to get a union or some kind of support started, don't they know? Don't they know they'd be big? That that's big. That's big. No, they're not thinking. Everybody, hey man, I don't care. I I got a hundred million. You best believe I'm gonna take five or something like that. And if and if and if I can get it back over five to ten years, or or if I don't get it back, as long as I made I made a, a, as long as we did a positive thing in the boxing game. Them guys got all that money, and they only need a little bit so we can do all this stuff. They don't want to do it. No, but that's positive. That's positive work there, Tim. And you know, I hope something does end up getting getting formed. You know, because it is you know one yeah. of the sports that, that gets neglected, and obviously it's the most dangerous sport. Um, my final question to you: It's the only sport. It's the only sport that don't have support. We yeah. the only sport, and everybody watches us, right? But we yeah, the only yeah. sport don't have support. Put your money here. Put your money there. We can't get uh, medical. We can't get this and that because of boxing. We have to go to the government and get uh, all kind of uh, coverage and stuff. So you're going to ask me another question. Yeah, okay. final final question, Tim. Um, I want to ask you this. I already know the answer to this. A lot of guys retire from boxing unhappy. Yeah. Are you a happy man? I think you are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I fought a battle. I thought I, I started a, I started something that I didn't know was going to wind up like it would wind up. It started out really good. My first fights, beginning beginning of my boxing career, and then all of a sudden it started turning gray. Started, you know, not really turning out too good. I started learning a lot of things that was uh, negative things, 
And then I went through it. Uh, I went through ups. I went through downs. And I made it through the crack. Now I can speak. Uh, yeah, I can speak and talk to people about the experience. You know, and I'm not the only one. I'm not, I, was, I'm, I think I'm one of the most outspoken. Outspoken about all the negative stuff. But but um, I, I like it the way it is now. You know, I don't know what it would have been if I'd have had a hundred million. You know, but but right now I don't have that, and I'm happy, and I could I I know what it is, man. I know what it is to to feel certain ways, negative, you know, feelings you get, and um, I'm not I'm not gonna let nobody else get me upset, cause I got kids kids I have to take care of, and and, and I gotta pass on pass on love to everybody. That's my thing. I don't I don't I'm I'm not jealous of them because they're making millions. I'm not I hope they take care of their money. I'm not jealous of anything, but I wish they would help the boxing industry out so 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 um we could start in a going in a in a good direction. That's my thing. But I wouldn't take I wouldn't change this for nothing in the world what I'm doing right now. Got my grandkids here. I'm gonna get ready to go cook for them. No, we're going they gonna take them to McDonalds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take it to McDonald's. Um, so, like I said, I'm kind of rusty, and if I was involved with something after my career was over, I would feel more positive. Like I did a good interview, and uh, every time I do an interview, I don't think I did well. You know, oh, team, and, don't be and, silly. Well, it's got something to do with the the game, the boxing game. We, you know, I'd have been. As a matter of fact, if you got to pay for this here uh, phone call, that's going to be expensive. <laughs> don't worry about that don't worry about that tim okay. just finally my friend if you've got any closing words obviously you you know you said it the uk has got a place in your heart there's a lot of guys over here yeah. who have loved and supported you for years what's your closing message yeah. to the fans that are listening to this well what can i say you know that's the country that has the more, more support for sports any sport you know and i learned that when i fought frank bruno when i went and i came to england and i seen how the how the the support was for their sportsmen and everybody. I was like, wow, that is really cool. You know, they wanted, they, they, they was really the kill for Frank Bruno, you know. But um, I, I really found out that they're lovely people, you know, and there is negative all over the world, but there really was a lot of, I, never, I really wasn't treated bad over there. And um, I'm really grateful for even being involved with uh, family over there and, and to just to say that I got a grandson over there, to say that my daughter was born in England, you know, to say that that's really that's like cool. I'm really I feel good about that, um, you know. And it's just that um, what can I say? You know, a lot of people don't get to to travel and do the things that I did. So I'm just grateful that that uh, it happened to me. You know, I know where to go when I go. As soon as I go in the airport, I know exactly where to go. Uh-huh. If I get lost, I'll call you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome, Tim. Listen, it's been a complete yeah. honor and pleasure to walk down memory lane with you. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you happiness and health for the future, and I hope we can speak again soon. No problem. No problem. Thank you.
Okay, and this wraps up episode 288 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our cell guest on this week's podcast, the former two-time heavyweight world champion, Mr. Tim Witherspoon. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Remember to tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast. Remember, if you do get a chance, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does mean a lot. But that's about everything from myself now. Enjoy. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.